0: Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high quality and tori attainment for you.
1: I've studied this, kind of. And the thing is, it's unfortunate that other musicians... There was a time, you know when they used to throw um, scraps of fat, remember when they would eat their Mm? food? (laughs) They'd throw it to the dogs. Yeah, yeah, like the Elvis uh, grilled cheese or something. They go here, you sang, and this is what you get. Mm. And I think that musicians and actors forget that it's a privilege to be able to even play music because so many people are creative and don't get that opportunity. I've met many great musicians Who can't get out of North Carolina, you know, Mm -hmm. who are great. And they have something to share, but for whatever reason haven't been given that opportunity. And they think if you really respect the tradition of musicians, which is a bloodline of thousands of years, then you know that we're all part of a creative force and that there is a, um, you know, there's a graciousness that should come with it, or you're just, you're just. A mole on a butt.
0: Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Carnival, a cover from the soundtrack to the movie Mission Impossible 2. Music from and inspired by the film Mission
2: Impossible 2. How's it going? I think it's okay. I'm feeling a lot of pressure, though. I've got to be honest. Why? You always feel pressure. This is supposed to be the best part of your week. It is the best part of my week. Maybe that's why they feel so much pressure around it. Oh, why this time? I have a very particular reason this time. This song, this lyric, this story, this story we call Amos, they're asking big questions. A big question. Will true love come my way on this magical day? I don't know. That's a lot of pressure to put on one day. I don't know. Pull yourself together and get out there. It's probably not going to come if you just sit around waiting for it, staring out the window.
0: Run a comb through your hair and get out there. Get to the carnival. Now you know how every gay feels on Pride Week. (laughs) Will true love come my way? Is that what people look for at Pride? Yeah, on this magical day. I thought they were looking for assless chaps and daiquiris. Is that just me? You know, you have your version of true love and I have mine. That's true. Is that yours? Did I capture it? You really did. You really get me. Wonderful. That's one thing I've always said. You really get me. Well, we've been together for a long time. You're, you're one version of my true love. Oh, we have been together for a really long time, haven't we? I know. We're barely out of the 90s. This is our first song out of the 90s. I was just going to say, how is it that we're
2: just arriving in the year 2000? In the year
0: 2000. I'm not warmed up enough to do that yet. We are in the year 2000 with Carnival, this song. This is a full 2000 song. However, this still feels like a holdover from the Venus era. It feels like it could have been recorded in the same sessions. It feels like it could have been a B-side. It feels like she's still very much in the same headspace. Marrying the electronics with the piano in a very successful way, I might add. What do you think? Yeah,
2: she's in the same headspace, but are you in the same hair space? Like, are you still crimped at this point? Or what's going on up there?
0: Yeah, no, I probably was crimped. Okay. I was probably crimping when I heard this for the first time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I had the long hair. What do you think the association was with space and
2: crimping is it like blasting through the atmosphere like it crimps your hair or how does that happen
0: you know like when you electrocute yourself yeah (laughs) and it like supposedly makes your hair stand on end yeah when you fly into space your hair crimps that makes sense it's like Bride of frankenstein on a space shuttle yeah i don't write the rules okay this is our first episode by the way we must make note of it this is our first episode post the carnival that was the ocean to ocean tour (laughs) I know. How are you feeling that
2: that era is kind of behind us now?
0: You know what? I was not prepared for a two-year tour. You know, you always think like, oh, tourists should tour forever. And every day, and I'll go to a show every day, like what a magical space that would be. What a magical time of year. And as the day draws near, you realize, oh, it's very expensive. It's very emotionally taxing. It's a lot to travel for two years. And yes, it wasn't a full two-year tour, but it was significant amount of shows. I liken it to the Scarlet's Walk tour, how it went. In O2 and O3, well, the lot of pianos extension. Tory touring takes a lot out of you personally why why me personally she's fine
2: but it's very hard on you yeah she's got a whole team around her i know at this point she shows
0: up like 10 minutes before showtime she does she does a sound check which may or may not be videotaped and then hits the stage she yeah. doesn't even do meet and greets anymore and then she's loaded onto a bus
2: and she arrives at the venue the next day to do it all over again whereas you are driving all night no pun intended it's true it's scraping sad. the budget together
0: Uh you know with her breaking her foot Keith was wheeling her to and from the tour bus, you know? Did you see those videos? Mm Mm-hmm. They seem to be having a lot of fun with it. That's all you can do when you break your foot. You can just make the best of it. Yeah. He's like wheeling her, like, woo! Was he leaning her back with like the front wheels off the ground and she's squealing in delight? Could you imagine him doing that and then accidentally dropping her? I would be furious. If I were her and if I were me, I would be furious. Yeah. So I'm sure she didn't let him do that. Probably not. Her insurance probably doesn't cover wheelies in a wheelchair. You're so right. Carnival, what were your first impressions of this song, which is a cover of a song from the film Black Orpheus, as we know, Mania de Carnival. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. What were your first impressions of this song?
2: You know what? I don't remember the first time I heard it, but I want to take a moment with you to acknowledge that moment in time when movie soundtracks were such a big deal. Mm -hmm. When it was an event, when soundtracks were packaged in a way that had like almost nothing to do with the movie. A lot of the time (laughs) when there were songs on the soundtrack that probably never appeared in the film which i think is the case with this one carnival is not actually played or even in like it's not in the background of any scene in mission impossible 2 is that correct
0: you know i have a mandela effect memory that this was playing over the credits it's not in the credits and then i went back to the dent and in 2000 someone's like this isn't even in the movie yeah that's what i'm remembering but that happened a lot trash
2: And there must have been like label politics involved in a lot of these soundtracks and kind of like jostling for placing certain artists. I'm thinking about a PJ Harvey B-side being on the Batman Forever soundtrack, which I do think is played in the background of that movie. But I'm like, this is so weird that someone was like, Batman Forever. I know, PJ Harvey. And she was like, you're right, me. Put it on there. Me! So you liked the song then is what you're telling me? (laughs) I do like the song. And as we've discussed with other similar songs like Siren, it's a bridge to the next era.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm,
2: yes. There's like the more traditional first section, which you didn't compose, and then there's the Space Jam, Coda. I don't know if coda is the right term for like the second movement of this song, but yeah, it's very Venusy, kind of married yeah. to a more traditional song and song structure, which kind of takes us to Scarlet's Walk,
0: maybe, or Strange Little Girls, who can say? Yeah, it's very Venusy. y Hits you right in your venus It hurts. So anyhow, also agree that it takes us into Strange Little Girls because it's a cover. It's a cover of a song by a man. So it does act as the bridge. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So where would you put this song in your rankings? Like, is it in your top five covers, your top 10 covers, your top 20 covers, only studio covers, no live?
2: I don't know. I'm going to need a flow chart. I can't even begin to rank this. Give me time to think
0: about it. How about you? I would put this as my number one cover of all time
4: go girl
0: are you serious yes i am why do you say it like that i don't know yes i would put it tied with do it again as my number one cover of all time Ooh, this song came out at a time in my life when i needed a friend i loved this song this song ranks right up there as far as covers go with do it again number one have a lot to say on it. What was going on for you at that point that you needed a sonic friend? Oh, I had just moved to Las Vegas. I had chosen to go pursue Mr. Dollar, if you know what I mean. Trying to make my million in Las Vegas of all places. And I was living with my grandparents and I didn't have any friends or money. And I had, well, I had some money. I bought a computer And I discovered Napster, as many of us did back in that exact time period. I had discovered Napster and found this song. The song was leaked early, and we'll talk about this as we get into the next act. But yeah, I was really isolated at the time. I just remember listening to it in my darkened bedroom on headphones laying in my bed, just vibing but we didn't call it vibing back then, kids. We called it listening to music. (laughs) This is a good soundtrack for your wild days in Vegas, I think. I agree. That's my carnival story and what a carnival life it's been. I know, huh? We should celebrate by going on a carnival cruise. We should. Was that the one Kathy Lee shilled for? Uh, Probably. Yeah. I imagine she's on every cruise, just getting drunk with Oda. I know,
2: every time you walk by the slide, somehow she manages to be coming down and landing in the pool (laughs) timed exactly to when you're going by. (laughs) yeah in her one piece Mm -hmm. (laughs) well should we introduce our guests david who is coming to the carnival and
0: are we carpooling on today's episode we're very excited to have back to the show steven sisk provencio super fan from our voodoo episode is back to talk about his next favorite song carnival He's done a lot of research on the song and he's going to shed light on not only Black Orpheus, but also Mission Impossible 2. So we're very excited to have him here today. We also have selections from a conversation with Mitchell Lieb, who is the album's producer. This is a conversation that he had on a podcast called Light the Fuse, where he goes into great detail about the soundtrack. Actually, he doesn't say anything about Tori Amos, but nonetheless, he sheds so much light on how this came to be. It's very fascinating. Finally, we're going to get some answers. Should we say hello to our Patreon
2: supporters, David? Hello. Carnival time is here. Welcome. Hello. We have to buy more tickets for all the carnival rides now, but it's nice to have friends.
0: Hello to Elizabeth Valo. Valo, Mr. Zebra. Can I have Elizabeth? Because she's hot. Hot, hot, hot. Coming in hot. Hello to new patron Aaron Michael. So Aaron faster. (laughs) So Aaron faster. So Aaron faster. Hello to new patron Ryan Brooks. Hi, Ryan. Good Lord willing and the Brooks don't rise. Good Lord. Good Lord. I love that remix that you're referencing. That's the Boy Who Can remix. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. I get happy every time (laughs) I hear it as the outro. I'm like, yeah. I love to play that remix. (laughs) Hello to Owen Myers. Thank you for joining our Patreon. Oh, when you gonna make up your Myers? Hello to new patron Rosalie De La Pass the mission. I smell the Rosalie. I smell the Rosalie. And she smells delightful. Hello to new patron Ella A., we could be bouncing Big Umbrella,
2: Ella Ella's smiling. <laughs> I'm sorry, can I just say that's one of the most inexplicable Tory lyrical moments ever? Big Umbrella's smiling? What? Anyways.
0: Yeah, because they look like they're smiling. When you turn them upside down, they got their little smiles on. Get with it. Have you never seen a musical before? <laughs> Hello to new patron, Ryan Quinn. This old man, he plays Tin, he plays Knickknack on my Quinn. On my Quinn. Hello to new patron, Kelly Haver. Hi. Raining Haver. Hey, 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 Haver. I sing hey, 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 Haver. Ooh. Hello to Christina Minter. Thank you for joining our Patreon, Christina. Painted in Minter ice cream. You're in a very bouncy place today.
2: Thanks, Hurricane Hillary.
0: Hello to new patron Diana Hoffmaster. Hoffmaster Shaman. I've come. Hello to new patron Candice Mackenroth. It's bitching what these Mackenroths can do. Good job, Candice. That's obscure, David. Good one. Hello to Gavin Batker.
2: Batker, Batker, bat me a Gavin.
0: Hi to Ryan Crawford. We love Ryan Crawford. Hi, Ryan. You know what? Why do we Croftsify ourselves? Why do we Crawfordsify ourselves? Levery day. Welcome back to Siv Hackinson. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. siving through the grain of gold. Hackinson, your door. What? <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, hello to Fen, which by the way, not that anybody cares, is the name of a really amazing Carol Churchill play, Fen, F-E-N. Fen. I'm just going to vocalize here. Ah, Paradiso Perduto and Fenn.
4: <laughs>
0: as always, we couldn't do this without our Patreon supporters, so thank you so much for joining. And there's more if you haven't heard your name yet. Listen to the next episode. We're spacing them out. Thank you so much as always. Thank you. And as always, we couldn't do this without Shay Dymack. Our ringmaster, <laughs> lion tamer, our clown car driver. It shows that I don't know what a carnival is, I think it's a circus.
2: Will true love come my way on this magical shay?
0: Oh, will true love come my shay? <laughs> I shang to the sun in the sky. I'll shay it again, the way you walk, the way you can, <laughs> telling me.
4: I'll shay it again.
3: Shay
0: it again. Good one, David. Thanks, Shay, so much for everything that you do. We're going to start this episode right with a song from the original movie, Black Orpheus. This is Mania de Carnaval from the original movie. The original version. You excited about it? I am. You got your hips warmed up, David? Always. They don't lie either. Roll it, Ollie.
5: la <laughs> Manhã é tão bonita manhã na vida, uma nova canção, cantando só teus olhos, teu riso, tua mão, pois a dia haver um dia em que virá das cordas do meu violão que só teu amor procurou vem uma voz Falar dos beijos perdidos nos lábios teus. Canto meu coração alegria voltou tão feliz amanhã desse amor.
6: Na Tão bonita manhã De um dia feliz que chegou O sol no céu surgiu E em cada cor brilhou Voltou o sonho então ao coração depois dia feliz
1: years ago um i was getting ready to audition to be billy idols keyboard player and um on the way to the audition i was told that i had a record deal <laughs> This is before I made Why Can't Tori Read, and as we all know, I should have gone to the audition. But, so I have played with, I was in a band in the 80s, um, Matt Sorum, who was in Guns N' Roses, we were in a band together, and Brad and Kayton were in the band, and um, so I have played quite a bit, but um, once I did Little Earthquakes, I did hundreds of shows at the piano, just me and the boozy, and I felt like I needed to do that to claim a promise I made to myself when I was five. Um, so then, having the guys come and play new set of guys except for Kayton, it was almost as if I, I got lonely.
0: So. <laughs> what about in the future will you tour with a band you think from now on or do you like going back to doing the piano thing oh,
1: different i mean i've been with the guys for about a year and a half now and it's been i'm a better player because of it they really challenged me my thing is as a musician you have to keep doing different things but i do think that what's coming i really i must tell you i have no idea After these shows, little shows, I don't know what
0: I'm gonna do. How are you, David? What do you think of this song? Let's talk about this song. You had a question that you wanted to ask during the break. You said I stepped on your bit.
2: Sorry, did I say that? I meant you raised a very important question.
0: Oh, that's the difference between the public face and the private face. That we should explore now. In private, it's oh you stepped on my bit, how dare you? But in public it's what a great point. Yeah, the mirror has two faces and they're both ugly. And they're both assholes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They're both
2: Bitches. Okay, what was your question? Okay, well, if there's one thing I've learned about Tori Amos, and I've probably only learned one thing, is that she goes absolutely hog wild for both a fair and a carnival and a circus. She goes triply wild for a circus, a fair, and a carnival. When you say you don't want it, she's like, Yes, you do, bitch, because circuses
0: are awesome. Circuses are awesome. I've never known Tori to perform in a circus yes you have she's a circus girl without a safety net even oh you're right oh from the very (laughs) beginning it was always there the whole time i know she
2: doesn't even give a shit she's like watch this no safety net required that's impressive i
0: know it really is i wouldn't do it don't try this at home that's like did we talk about that in that song what being a circus girl without a safety net it implies that she's walking on a tightrope i know should we have put an advisory on that episode like a trigger warning no, 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 no. Not, well, maybe. I don't know. If you're triggered
2: by high wires, that's your thing. But, like, don't try this at home thing. Oh, like, these are professionals. Yeah.
0: Tori seems to be advocating for it, but don't do it unless you have efficient training. Like how they did it in front of Jackass. Exactly. These are trained professionals. <laughs> Bam and Steve-O are trained yeah.
3: professionals.
2: But I can kind of, you know, figure out for myself what differentiates a circus from a carnival and a fair. But a carnival and a fair seem very similar. And Tori seems to lean kind of more towards fair. Like, remember that time she went and it was like so amazing. She like got high on cotton candy and then like lost track of time. She like held someone's hand and she couldn't even remember what time it was. <laughs> I totally lost track. She had like apple green ice cream smeared all over her face and was just like,
0: oh. But, you know, she's never called a song the fair. This one's called Carnival. That's true. That's true. So I think she's more into carnivals. That would be my guess. It's a cover, though. That's true. She did hold his hand at the fair. And in this song, she's not that kind of woman. She's not that kind of woman. <laughs> You're right. I never realized she was so into all these things. I know. Yeah. She loves a Tilt-A-Whirl.
2: You and me both, sister. Should we just take a second to read very brief, succinct definitions of what differentiates a carnival from a fair so that we can all be clear moving forward and kind of orient
0: ourselves? Yeah, because we all have a vague sense of what that is. But do we know for sure? Have we read the definition of the word carnival? No. We haven't. But you know what? Now
2: that I'm looking at this, I think it might raise more questions than it's going to answer, which is troubling. Oh
0: but that's why we're here. The Oxford Language Dictionary defines carnival as a period of public revelry at a regular time each year, typically during the week before Lent in Roman Catholic countries, involving processions, music, dancing, and the use of masquerade.
2: Okay, all right. See, you got it. I think that speaks specifically to what this song is about. But we also use the term carnival, I think, to refer to things that aren't like a seasonal celebration. Like what I pulled up says carnivals are typically traveling shows with a focus on fun games and thrilling rides that's what i think of and i think that's probably very american centric american focused like that's probably what i think of a carnival as and it says a fair is a state-sponsored event that often has unique food rides games and features competitions such as livestock judging and cooking
0: contests
2: i think for a lot of the rest of the world carnival is often like a mardi gras
0: thing yeah exactly Carnival. Right. And it serves to note that in Brazil, where this song originates, it's spelled with an A. Tori uses the English spelling Carnival as opposed to Carnaval.
7: Mm-hmm. From Samba Blocos in Brazil to Masked Balls in Italy, Carnival is a truly global phenomenon, celebrated in over 50 countries around the world. Carnival originated as a pagan festival in ancient Egypt to usher out winter and celebrate the beginning of spring. When Alexander the Great conquered Egypt, the ancient Greeks adopted the festival. The Romans assimilated the festival from the Greeks and it was later overlaid with Christian meaning to become the festival of carne vale. The word carne means meat in Latin and vale means farewell. In the Catholic calendar, Carnivale, Farewell to Meet, is a feast before the fast of Lent. In 18th century Italy, people preparing for Lent would throw indulgent fancy dress parties and gorge before the fast. As Christianity spread across Europe, so too did the celebration of Carnival. Colonisation exported it across the world. Portuguese colonists took Lent to the shores of Brazil, where they had also taken an estimated 4 million African slaves. Over time, European rituals fused with African ones to create Brazil's world-famous carnival. The flamboyant street parties are a celebration of Brazil's mixed heritage and its big business. In 2016, the city of Rio alone welcomed 1.1 million tourists during Carnival, contributing around $900 million to the city's economy. On the Caribbean island of Trinidad, the Festival of Lent was introduced by French colonists. Slaves, excluded from these celebrations, created their own parties to the soundtrack of Calypso music which mocked the French. This is now an integral part of Trinidad's carnival. In India, carnival is only celebrated in the southern state of Goa, where Portuguese colonists ruled for over four centuries. Parades occur throughout the state with bands, dances, and floats. Carnival is known as Mardi Gras in the American city of New Orleans and contributes over 2% to the city's GDP. Carnival is not just a party in the sun. Quebec holds the third biggest carnival celebration in the world. From humble beginnings, carnival has become a truly global celebration, with millions of revelers all over the world contributing billions of dollars to the party
0: carnival appears on the mission impossible 2 soundtrack which i have sitting on my desk right in front of me it's one of my only cds that survived my big garage leak years ago oh my god it's almost as devastating as that
2: universal music fire oh that's the one thing you were able to save is your mission impossible 2 soundtrack
0: from the flood i know the waters terrible Album produced by Mitchell Lieb, music consultant Karen Glauber, executive producer Wagner and Cruz, I'm assuming Tom, mastered by Brian Gardner, and soundtrack coordinator Desiree Craig-Ramos. Is
2: a music consultant different than a music supervisor?
0: I think so. Yeah, a music consultant is someone you consult, and a music supervisor is their boss. They're supervising. <laughs> you get it? Oh, well, that clears it up. According to ZipRecruiter, as a music consultant, your duties are to guide a musical artist to success. You help them create a plan for their career, coach them on performing, and even help with the recording process. While your responsibilities are vast, the main concentration of your efforts is in marketing. Mm. Yeah. So they probably consulted the music consultant to say, we want to create this vibe for this record because this Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, Let's Be Frank has a very unique and very specific vibe. Does it? The whole thing is kind of cohesive? Have you not heard the soundtrack? Not for 23 years. Oh, well, let me remind you some of the artists that Tori appears alongside. Limp Bizkit, Metallica, Rob Zombie, Butthole Surfers, The Pimps, Foo Fighters, and Brian May, Godsmack, which is what Tori's been doing her whole career, <laughs> Uncle Cracker, Kid Rock, Apartment 26, Diffuser, Buckcherry, Powder Powderfinger, and Tori Amos. So what is the cohesive vibe of the soundtrack? Is it just snapshot of 2000? No, I think it's aggro. It's like a lot of like what I would define to be aggressive male rock. Well, yeah. Limp Bizkit, Metallica, Rob Zombie. It's like aggressive. What Rob Zombie song is it? Scum of the Earth. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, They're like, how are we going to finish off this package? We got
2: scum of the earth. I know, Tori Amos. Exactly. But can I tell you that I went to the second Acoustic Christmas, K-Rock Acoustic Christmas that Tori played at, And the best experience of the night for me was Rob Zombie, who I had no attachment to whatsoever. I thought it was an amazing performance. I was like, Rob Zombie is super fun. There were like dudes in Santa suits and blood shooting out everywhere, which is like kind of my vibe, of course. Amazing. I was not expecting to have such a good time at the K-Rock Acoustic Christmas show seeing
0: Rob Zombie. This is in no way a judgment on any of these artists. It's just that they all sort of fit to my ear, a similar like guitar driven male rock. Mm -hmm. And Tori Amos is clearly the stand out in the soundtrack and then following tori amos you have hans zimmer i definitely don't want to undersell the popularity of this album this album peaked at number two it actually entered the charts at number two limp Bizkit, that was a huge hit for them metallica this is the only song they ever did for a soundtrack like an original song they ever did for a soundtrack it was a million dollar deal it's just a very interesting appearance for her an anomaly in her career certainly it is and it isn't
2: because there was like a very strange period of time between let's say like 1996 and 2000 where tori was placed on soundtracks for these big action movies and it's like what are you talking about Escape from L.A.? I'm talking Twister. about Escape from L.A. and Twister and Mission Impossible 2. It seems like a very
0: unlikely fit. Yeah. Especially for it to not appear in the movie. It's very strange. It is. Yeah. I'm glad that the song exists. Don't get me wrong. I love this song. But for it to n- appear on this soundtrack with these artists, then to not even be in the movie to like provide context as to why it's on the soundtrack. I know. It's just all very confusing. We need to find someone who can speak to this. Someone who is on the inside. Well, I found someone who was on the inside. I think now is a good time to play some selections from Mitchell Lieb's interview with Light the Fuse Podcast, which you can find at lightthefusepodcast.com. Great guys. Let's play a little of that here, and we'll talk about it, David. Yes. <laughs>
8: Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, woo!
2: Mitchell, do you want to tell
8: people what you do for a living and
2: what
0: you did for the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack?
8: Sure. I am currently employed as president of music and soundtracks for Walt Disney Studios, live action motion picture group. The Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack I produced when I had just come back to Disney I had a number of soundtracks in a row that were just gigantic. Good Morning Vietnam, Beaches, Cocktail, culminating with Pretty Woman. And I did movies like Natural Born Killers, JFK, Free Willy. I did a deal with Michael Jackson. And, and anyways, it was in my capacity of head of soundtracks, oddly, for Disney's record companies that I made a deal with Paramount Pictures, a competitor of Disney's, to acquire and produce the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. So I started forging a relation with Paramount and a phenomenal, phenomenal head of music there who was responsible for me getting Mission Impossible 2, a wonderful guy named Harlan Goodman. And the thing about Tom Cruise is, man, when he's in, he's in 1,000%. This is not a fringe guy. He's either in 1,000% or he's not in. So anyways, I met him. We sat down and kind of talked philosophically about it. And he was just a cheerleader. He was simply, I love all of your ideas. Just go for it. Just go for it. So that's the setup. What would you like to know beyond that? (laughs) How
2: did you start putting this together? Obviously, I think the Metallica song and the Limp Bizkit song are the songs everybody remembers, but... Rob Zombie is on this soundtrack and there's a whole bunch of like, how did you sort of start putting it together?
8: Uh, The first thing that Tom really locked into was my idea of trying to turn the theme. He was very concerned that there was nothing more that could be done with the theme and that, you know, cause Larry and uh, what's his name had done it for the first movie that there was really nothing that could be done with it. And yet he knows that it's the iconic calling card of the franchise So he was very intrigued with my confidence that I could do something big with it. And so the first thing we really started with was that. Long before what I accomplished in Australia in that first meeting with Tom was number one, we were gonna go for it and I was gonna spend millions of dollars. And he loved that. Number two was my first priority was going to be really trying to develop this idea of turning the theme into a real record, into a, a vocal record, okay? And um, number three was I cemented in them understanding what the agenda was in wanting to bolster the male audience, including the aggressive, you know, the younger teenage and a little bit more mature than that audience in males that I, I was hell-bent that it had to be rocked. It had to substantially be a rock record. I was gonna be very focused on having it be a hard hitting rock record. Tom signed off on all of those things and then I went to work. And really what I did was I seeded and sent around multiple versions of just the Mission Impossible theme, the Lalo Schifrin instrumental theme. And I seeded it with songwriters and producers and artists and managers and in our people, I just went deep and wide with it. If you wanna get attention from the biggest of artists, you gotta wink, wink, hint, hint that you're playing on that level and that you can afford them in the first place and that you're not gonna compromise and that you're basically bringing them the biggest movie with the biggest movie star with the biggest budget willing to make the biggest video wanting the biggest splash and people respond to that so i went out deep with the instrumental themes and somewhere in archives at disney i've got demos 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 and 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 demos of artists and producers who,
0: we're gonna we're gonna need to listen to these. Yeah, the, uh... I'll, I'll yeah. dig them out. I'll dig them
8: demos. out. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, demos everywhere, and um, Limp Biscuit had just broken. I mean, this is right up his alley, and he loves the Mission Impossible franchise. He is the he is Tom Cruise's biggest fan. Fred Durst, Fred crushed it. He killed it. It was just the instrumental version, pretty much. The Limp Bizkit record of Take a Look Around that you hear that starts with the haunting. And then the drum beat. John, 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 ah, ah, ah. And in court, like, it was unbelievable. So he gives me a cassette of it, a CD of it, I don't remember, but this is, this is phenomenal. But like, look, you got to play it for Tom. So I go back to Australia to do nothing but to play it for Tom. I put this thing on to Tom's credit. He tops out his volume knob. We rock to it. Just see Tom kind of quietly listening to this rock record at 11 (laughs) volume. And he's just doing this. And I'm like, shit, does he get it? Does he not like it? Oh, fuck. You know, wait a minute. Like, oh, God, I hope I don't have a confrontation over this because this is going to be the biggest thing. So it ends. He looks up at me and he goes, exquisite. (laughs) No, no, really. This is more than I could ever have imagined. You've done it. You, you, you did. It's, it was not a, like me, when I'm excited, you feel that excitement. And it was a bit strange because he's, He's so magnanimous and he's so, and you would expect he would be a guy that would jump out of his skin. And his response was totally supportive, talking about how much he loved it. And he said, I'll tell you something else. I figured out, Tom said this to me, I had no expectation any of the songs were going to make it in the movie. I thought it was an inspired by record. I thought that was the end of it. Tom said, I also got an idea of how I'm going to put it in the film. And it was like, are you kidding? Now I've got music from and inspired by. Okay, which is a whole other thing when you can actually sell a soundtrack with any type of honest placements of any of the material in the film.
0: I encourage you to listen to that full podcast. It's two parts and we're going to link to it on our show notes, songs of It was a really fascinating peek into not only the mission impossible Two soundtrack, but creating a soundtrack in general, the whole process that goes into it and like the deals that are made
2: i agree and i love how he talked through the process of how the concept became music from and inspired by the film Mm -hmm. and there's also a really compelling story about how he meets tom cruise for the first time yeah (laughs) and it's sort of in the direct gaze of his star power which is coming at him with full wattage and what that can do to a person i was getting into a little bit of a tizzy just hearing that
0: yeah me too i thought he told great stories he's now the president of music and soundtracks for the walt disney studios so we did reach out for an interview but we're glad to have this as our alternate source of info. That being said, let's try to unpack how Tori became a part of this because there's a couple ways I think that it could have transpired. At a certain point in the interview, he says that he reached out to a bunch of people and had them write themes to have them do variations on the theme of Mission Impossible. You know, the dun, 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 dun. And that somewhere he even says in the podcast somewhere he has vaults of just demo after demo after demo of like people doing this, their take on the theme because he was trying to like figure out where it was gonna go until Limp Biscuit really nailed it like the vibe of the do you think there's any world in which
2: Tori would have ever tried her hand at that I don't yes. think that she you think she was in the mix of artists who was like
0: sampling yes. Mission impossible theme I wish yes I do not sampling <laughs> you know what I reimagining mean. reimagining mm. it yeah it was like Night of Hunter she was like these
2: are variations on classical themes. exactly Mission Impossible soundtrack
0: I would love to hear her do, like, a piano. I bet there's some world in which she, like, really filled it out in the piano. Mm -hmm. But I thought a couple things. Like, maybe she had enough star power at this time, which she did, that he just wanted her on there. But that seems unlikely because he was crafting a very specific vibe. There's also this quote, if you want to read it, David. This is from Rip It Up Australia, September twenty second, 2011, from an article called Tori Amos, The Keys Girl by Scott McLennan. There's so much I love about this already. Rip it
2: up, Australia. During her four years of metamorphosis from bimbo rock chick to one of the most transfixing voices of the 90s, Amos was involved in numerous low-key musical endeavors. The vocalist recorded the original demo for Days of Thunder's theme tune, Show Me Heaven, for her friend, composer Hans Zimmer. Considering the song was a global smash for Maria McKee in 1990, how different would the career of Tori Amos have been if she'd had her first hit with someone else's song before she made a name for herself with Little Earthquakes?
0: It would have been very different, Scott. I can answer that with utmost certainty. Rip it up! But it does speak to her relationship with Hans Zimmer in the 80s, in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And if you look at pictures of Hans Zimmer, he was quite a looker. And I could see that he might have been charmed by Tori. And she always talks about how he paid her $150 to do that demo. So they've had a, a longstanding professional relationship. That being said, she does have that relationship with Hans Zimmer from the Toys era, from even prior to the Toys soundtrack. So I feel like maybe that has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's part of how she was sort of drawn into this collaboration on the soundtrack, that she had a pre-existing relationship with Hans Zimmer? Could be, yeah. And maybe when he was composing, because I know that he wanted her to do vocals throughout the whole score, maybe it only made sense to have her there as well. Another thought I had is that maybe in the Mitchell Lieb in that podcast talks about making deals with people for certain artists and stuff. And maybe he was friends with Arthur Spivak, who was her manager at the time. Who knows? Anything could be anything. But you know what can't be something else than what she is? Tell me. Tori Amos. Gotta be yourself. Oh my god. She writes in her 2005 memoir, Piece by Piece, We took on a project to do a song for the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. The good thing is we had something to focus on. Mark and I went back to Cornwall and that was a lifetime for me because I needed to do something and this was one of my favorite covers of all time. Mine too, girl. (laughs) Carnival by Luis Bonfa from the film Black Orpheus. I knew I had one more album to record for Atlantic Records, but I didn't even think about that. It was in the distance. We went back to Cornwall and the crew started coming in and Duncan was there. I'll never forget it. The band had arrived and one night after rehearsal, I was serving the wine. Duncan was cooking a welcoming dinner for all of them. I just went into the other room and I called Mark to me and I said, the fish is bad. There's something wrong. And then I said... <laughs> Anastasia's here. I feel sick. Hit record. <laughs> exactly. I got <had> bad crabs. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, furthermore, the vintage is bad. And he just looked at me. This was one of my favorite wines. I think it was the Chateau Pichon Longueville Comtesse de la L'Anne de 1996. <laughs> he said, let me taste it. And he did. And he said... It's incredible wine. I thought I had the stomach flu, which was going around. I couldn't eat or drink anything. I was just not well. I wasn't taking antibiotics. The one thing I was taking was baby aspirin. As far as my cycle went, I hadn't even gotten back to any normal sort of anything. I thought we might see the doctor again and try in six months. Then I was open to trying the fertility drugs, the big, big guns. But the doctor had said not yet. You know you have to heal. So I was taking baby aspirin and I was still taking my vitamins because he'd said these vitamins aren't going to hurt you. They're good for you. And you've just lost so much blood now. You just need to do this. So I was just minding my own little business and enjoying the Crystal Rose 1990 with Mark. And then I was so ill. And within two weeks, I called my sister and she said she wanted me to go take a pregnancy test. She said to take two and I couldn't believe the results. My life began to change radically. That is, I changed my life. Hans Zimmer wanted me to come and do some vocalizing throughout the Mission Impossible 2 score, and I've known Hans for years. I was the girl who did the demo for Maria McKee on the theme for Days of Thunder, and he composed the score. She and Tom Cruise go way back. They do go way back. I got paid something like $150 to come in and do Show Me Heaven. So I like Hans, and I would have done it under any other circumstances, but I just had to say no. Mark and I were back on the merry-go-round again. We went to this doctor to get our ultrasound and it was the scariest moment. He gave us little candies to hold and we sat there and they did the ultrasound and we saw these legs, these legs jumping up and down. I was 11 weeks pregnant. We just looked at each other and I said, I'm going to go to the beach house. I'm not going back to work. And that's what I did. What do you think of that little story she told? It's unclear to me exactly whose idea this was. Meaning, did they come to her
2: specifically with Carnival or were they like, just do something for Mission Impossible 2? And she's like, I know my favorite cover.
0: That's interesting. I wonder. I bet Hans Zimmer, who it seems like they're friends. I think he composed, I mean, obviously he composed the music. So maybe he, it was his suggestion and maybe he wanted to do Carnival and she's like, oh, I love that cover.
2: (laughs) Yeah, maybe kind of odd that we'd never heard her reference it before if it's one of her favorite songs she's gotten through like four world tours without
0: touching it or mentioning it ever i don't know we did reach out to hans for an interview but he's on tour right now and his schedule cannot accommodate it feels to me like and i have a very specific story around this song that i'll tell you but it seems to me like this might be a song that she covered back in her piano bar days and do you want to know why i believe that to be true yeah I was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2019 and I was sitting there at the dinner theater with like eight teenagers that I had taken to Oregon and we were sitting there enjoying our dinner and there was a pianist playing piano bar in the little dining area and I heard the familiar strains and I was like, what is this? He's playing Mania de Carnival. (laughs) And I just sat there, I even took like a, I'm sure an Instagram story about it. But yeah, he was playing carnival. I had so dissociated this song as being a cover because I loved it so much that it was an absolute shock in that moment to hear it. I was like, he's playing Tori Amos. I was like, oh no, obviously. Right. Like when you hear What Child Is This? And you're like, who's playing What Child Knew Well by Tori Amos? That's exactly what I think. But yeah. And then not only that, but recently when I was on my cruise on the Norwegian Bliss to Alaska, there was a pianist there and she, we gave her a tip for it, but she played Carnival for us. It was great. I love that song on the piano. So I, I would like to imagine that she did it on the piano back in the day. It's very possible. Maybe there were
2: times when you could hear it wafting through the Marriott by the airport. Mm. If I could hear that now, I'd go to the airport more. Mm-hmm. Play it again, T.
0: Yeah, I might pick up my friends from LAX. Well, next time I need to get picked up, I'll pay it for you in the car. Thank you. Another quote from She Magazine, December 2003. Tori says, At first, I listened to everyone who thought they were a baby expert, but then sense set in. I was 36 and this was my fourth pregnancy. I decided not to read every pregnancy book from here to LA and back. My sister said, just welcome this. Your responsibility is to make sure that you're not putting either of you under too much stress. My sister is as tough as old boots, but she deals with women walking into her surgery and leaving knowing that they have terminal cancer. She lives on a different side of warm and fuzzy. I wanted to be calm. I stopped taking calls that were stressful. I had written a track, Carnival, for the soundtrack to Mission Impossible 2. And when I was four months pregnant, I was asked to fly to L.A. to work on it. I told those involved that I had done the track to the best of my ability and that if they could use it, great. And if not, well, I had done the best that I could. That's how I approach all my work. (laughs) I've noticed. (laughs) I'm on bed rest. Sorry, I'm actually in bed right now. What do you think of
2: that? I mean, she barely ever stops working. I guess she ceased for like a few months before she started working on Strange Little Girls. But what do you think could have been changed about this song? It's very highly produced. She wrote an original piece of music to go along with it, to make it her
0: own. Yeah, it's true. She did write an original piece of music that she tagged on to the end of this song, as you know. But she didn't credit herself with that. I'm looking here right now in the credits of the soundtrack it says written by luis bonfa Hugo peretti luigi creatore george david weiss published by les nouvelles edition meridian administrated by chapel and co produced by Tori. mixed by mark and marcel courtesy of atlantic that's all it says it doesn't credit her with that ending yes <laughs> this soundtrack was released on may 9th 2000 or may 22nd some places say but most places say May 9th I'm looking at the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack Wikipedia page it says Music from an Inspired by Mission Impossible 2 is a soundtrack album for the 2000 film Mission Impossible 2 <laughs> It was certified gold for 100,000 copies shipped in Japan in August of 2000 It had three singles I disappear by Metallica <laughs> Take a Look Around by Limp Biz Kit. And Scum of the Earth by Rob Zombie. Those were the three
2: singles. Wonderful, right? Wonderful. Isn't it nice to know that they're still reliably pumping out Mission Impossible movies the same way Tori is still reliably pumping out albums
0: <laughs> all these years later? It's true. Side by side. Yeah, it is kind of comforting. But what I learned from the Light the Fuse podcast that makes this so interesting is that there was never another soundtrack like this again. This this is an anomaly in the Mission Impossible franchise, that there were artists on a soundtrack. It's always just scores now. It was This is the only time this happened in the franchise, so... And I've never seen a single Mission Impossible movie until, like, two weeks ago. Is no that joke. true? That's true, <laughs> yeah. And which one did you start with? The one that just came out, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised that when he did this first Mission Impossible back in the 1990s, he never stopped doing them. What? I thought surely he'll grow out of this, but he never stopped doing them. And it was really entertaining. Dead Reckoning was really entertaining and I will watch part two of it. I need to see
2: Dead Reckoning, but I've seen the prior Mission Impossible movies and I find them delightfully entertaining. You didn't even see like the original Mission Impossible in 1996 directed by Brian De Palma. It's good. You should watch it. I'm reading the one sentence blurb synopsis of Mission Impossible 2, and it does not ring any bells. But to be fair, I haven't seen this one since the year 2000. And it says IMF agent Ethan Hunt is sent to Sydney to find and destroy genetically modified disease called Chimera. Hmm. It primarily takes place in Australia, I guess. I would watch it, but I would watch them all back to back. I would
0: like to watch them all back to back. You should. You shouldn't watch them back to front. Well, whatever. Let's talk about this song and this song being a cover of Manya de Carnival. And let's talk a little bit about that. Okay, And another film, a film called Black Orpheus, in which the song does appear, but not by Tori. Have you seen Black Orpheus? I have not. Have you? I have seen Black Orpheus. I have seen it in Portuguese, and I've seen it on YouTube. It is available right now on YouTube in Portuguese without subtitles. I was following the Wikipedia page as I watched it, and it was really beautiful. I really liked the movie, although there's some controversy surrounding the movie, But I really like the movie. What's the controversy? In its presentation of Afro-Brazilian culture, of the Brazilian people, and specifically the way they are portrayed as being simple-minded and only caring about singing and dancing. Oh, goodness. So it's not unlike the beekeeper controversy when
2: Tori announced that there were going to be Afro-Cuban rhythms.
0: (laughs) Did she announce that? Is that true? I don't recall.
2: Or maybe Matt Chamberlain did. Like when it was being recorded or like a few months before it came out, maybe it was the press release that mentioned something about like Afro-Cuban rhythms and we we're all like Ooh, tugging at our
0: collars. It's the press release. You're right, David. This memory of yours is incredible. Steel Trap. Steel Trap, she is. This is from the press release of The Beekeeper. Currently, Tori is putting the finishing touches on The Beekeeper, which she's recording and self-producing in her UK studio, Martian Engineering. On songs like Sweet the Sting, Sleeps with Butterflies, and Ribbons Undone, Tori incorporates vintage organs, Afro-Cuban drums, and gospel choirs, working once again with longtime partners, drummer Matt Chamberlain, and bassist John Evans. Back to Black Orpheus. You've never seen it? I have not. And I will probably not be watching it in its original Portuguese. Well, you should watch it. I'm sure if you... Because the version that's on YouTube is a really beautiful remastered print that has the Criterion logo in the front of it. So I'm assuming it's the Criterion cut, but it doesn't have subtitles, but I'm sure there is a Criterion version that has subtitles and you should watch it. Cause I think it's, I think it was really, you're going to laugh, but I fancy myself a huge Orpheus and Eurydice fan. I'm a huge Orpheus and Eurydice fan. So I was really into it. I, I'm surprised I'd never seen it before. Who
9: were they? I don't know her.
0: What? <laughs>
9: are you kidding? Do I sound like I'm kidding? It was the perfect wedding, the guests thought. The groom was Orpheus, the greatest of all poets and musicians. The bride, Eurydice, a wood nymph. Anyone could tell the couple was truly and deeply in love. Suddenly, Eurydice stumbled, then fell to the ground. By the time Orpheus reached her side, she was dead, and the snake that had bitten her was slithering away through the grass. Following Eurydice's funeral, Orpheus was overcome with a grief the human world could not contain. And so he decided he would journey to the land of the dead, a place from which no living creature had ever returned to rescue his beloved.
0: No living creature except for Tori Amos and Boys for (laughs) Pele.
9: When Orpheus reached the gates of the underworld, he began to strum his lyre. The music was so beautiful that Cerberus, the three-headed dog who guards the dead, lay down as Orpheus passed. Charon, the fairy captain who charged dead souls to cross the river Styx, was so moved by the music that he brought Orpheus across, free of charge. When Orpheus entered the palace of Hades and Persephone, the king and queen of the dead, he began to sing. He sang of his love for Eurydice and said she had been taken away too soon. The day would come when she, like all living creatures, dwelled in the land of the dead for all eternity. So couldn't Hades grant her just a few more years on Earth? In the moment after Orpheus finished, all hell stood still. Even the Furies, the demonic goddesses of vengeance, wept. Hades and Persephone granted Orpheus' plea, but on one condition. As he climbed back out of the underworld, he must not turn around to see if Eurydice was following behind him. If he did, she would return to the land of the dead forever. Orpheus began to climb. With each step, he worried more and more about whether Eurydice was behind him. He heard nothing. Where were her footsteps? Finally, just before he stepped out of the underworld and into the bright light of day, he gave in to temptation. Orpheus tried to return to the underworld, but was refused entry. Separated from Eurydice, Orpheus swore never to love another woman again. Instead, he sat in a grove of trees and sang songs of lovers.
0: There's a lot of different versions there's one by virgil ovid even tennessee williams wrote a play called orpheus descending which i sound designed starring gail harold and denise crosby in 2010 one of the best things i've ever done and i was the sound designer that's where i became obsessed with the orpheus myth
2: obsessed I don't have your extensive training in or knowledge of theater and classic works of literature. I am just called in when we need to talk about the Twister soundtrack. Tell me about the first time you heard the song. You mentioned earlier that it was leaked early. I don't remember
0: that. You don't remember
2: it being leaked? I do not. Where was it leaked to? To Napster?
0: Yeah, to Napster. I got it on Napster early. And I remember the track listing of the soundtrack came out early. And so when I had gotten the song early, I almost didn't buy the soundtrack I really felt like I wasn't gonna vibe with the rest of the music. Mm. But finally, when the soundtrack came out, I did purchase it as it is evidenced by it being here in my physical hands. I purchased it and I don't think I've ever (laughs) listened to it. I don't think I've, let me see. I'm gonna try to take the disc out of the cradle. Oh, yep, it was tight. It's still tightly, it's totally unscratched. (laughs) There you go. God, I'm relieved you bought
2: it. If I found out you were the one who started stealing wine from Tori's Vineyard, I never would have been able to move forward. Yeah, I
0: bought it. Of course I bought it. I like to buy physical media. You've never spun that disc? I don't think so. Mm. It serves to note in the movie Black Orpheus, the actor that plays Orpheus plays this on the guitar, and there's two kids who follow him around. And at the end, after like everything goes down, which I'm not going to give spoilers, but it's a really good movie. You should watch it. At the end, these two kids, because of the line... I sing to the sun in the sky. I think they believe he makes the sunrise every morning with his song. So Mm. they carry it on. And it's this song. And it's just a really, it seems to be really meaningful in the film. And it's just a beautiful Bossa Nova classic. Mm -hmm. So yeah.
2: Does Tori retain any of the sonic spirit of the original, or is it really kind of its own thing?
0: No, I think she definitely does. I think in the beginning half of the song, obviously, it's like really melodically identical. Do you want to read a little bit about Manya de Carnival from Wikipedia, David? Yes. Which translates to the morning of the carnival maña de
2: carnival often referred to as black orpheus is a song by brazilian composer Luiz bonfa and lyricist antonio maria maña de Carnaval appeared as a principal theme in the 1959 portuguese language film orfeo negro by french director marcel Camus. maña de carnival became one of the first bossa nova compositions to gain popularity outside brazil Particularly in the United States, the song is considered to be one of the most important Brazilian jazz bossa songs that helped establish the bossa nova movement in the late 1950s. Since then, it has become a jazz standard in the U.S. and is still performed regularly by a wide variety of musicians around the world in both vocalized and instrumental versions. In the U.S., the song is also known as a variety of different titles, including A Day in the Life of a Fool, carnival theme from black orpheus or simply black orpheus in france the song is also known as uh oh this is where you come in
0: la chanson d'orphy
2: thank you all versions of foreign texts were written by lyricists other than antonio maria using bonfa's original music
0: amazing yeah and there's a ton of recordings not the least of which is my instagram recording of that guy in the piano bar at Oregon shakespeare <laughs> yeah should we do one yeah i think we should okay but I don't think it'll be as good as Vince Guaraldi, João Gilberto, Stan Getz, Jerry Mulligan, Joan Baez, Perry Como, to name a few, Astrid Gilberto, the Smothers Brothers, Frank Sinatra, Cannonball Adderley, Earl Clue, Julio Iglesias, Luis Miguel, Placido Domingo, Emilio Santiago, Carly Simon, Dexter Gordon,
3: <laughs> there you go,
0: <laughs> Dan Fogelberg. Most recently, Dan Fogelberg, live at Carnegie Hall. Roll that one, Oliver. Why don't you read this from launch.com, April 12th, the year 2000.
2: All right, this is interesting. A little bit of a question mark here. When Launch recently chatted with the singer, she was in the recording studio again. Though she made it clear that working on another full-length record is the farthest thing from her mind right now. Instead, Amos has been spending time toying with ideas that may or may not eventually be used as part of a film project. I finished albums for a while, she says. I'm looking at visuals right now, doing music for visuals. I got a call from somebody I really liked on the visual side and they said, hey, will you give it a go? I said, absolutely, and we'll see what happens. We had a laugh and we'll see, but no rush. While understandably tight-lipped about the new endeavor, she does acknowledge that writing to a pre-existing story presents a unique set of challenges. Your brief is very specific, and you're composing music for a plot that already exists, she says. Whereas while you're composing for your own work, you're developing a plot and a character. When you're putting music to film, you're trying to give the characters subtext, but they already exist. I love it. Do you think it's it all possible that this is referring to a project that never came to fruition?
0: Oh, interesting, because she canned all work when she was pregnant. I don't know. This seems like it could be Mission Impossible, but because of the date, April 12th, and she says it, she's saying it in like present tense. I'm putting music, I'm looking at visuals, doing music for visuals. So like the doing of it in April, maybe, maybe. Why, what do you think? This is way too early for Mona Lisa's smile, right? i forgot about those yeah but those come later those are the bridge that's actually oh we always knew that butterfly was the bridge between pink and pele siren was the bridge between pele and choir girl carnival is the bridge between venus and strange little girls i forgot you belong to me and murder he says is the bridge between scarlet and the beekeeper that's true it's perfect
2: it's perfect airtight you know, April 12th, 2000 was when this interview was published, right? But we don't know when the interview was conducted. So it could have been oh, months be- before that. It could have been five months Or the beginning of the year, which is, you know, I would think more than enough time for her to still be working on it for it to be included on the soundtrack. So more likely than not, she's talking about Mission Impossible 2. But I find it interesting that they would have been giving her visuals from the movie. They're like, here's this John Woo footage of, you know, explosions and doves in slow motion. Can you (laughs) write to this? And she was like, yes. Normally I traffic in black doves, but I can try white, sure.
0: Well, I mean, if they want her to compose to a certain scene, they're probably going to send her the scene like a rough cut. Of course they're going to have to. And maybe the
2: song was originally going to be included in the movie and then ended up not being the case, but...
0: I don't know. A lot of things can change from conception to actual, like, final delivery. Plus, it seems like she was going to, according to the quote we read from Piece by Piece, it seems like she was going to do kind of a similar thing to what she did with Siren. Also was intending to do for Siren that didn't actually come to completion, because in Siren, she was also supposed to vocalize with that composer, Patrick Doyle, at that time. She was supposed to come in and do vocalizations for the whole movie, but she because of her, a situation that was going on with her internally she was unable to do so in the end Mm -hmm. same thing here because she got pregnant she was like done we're done yeah it's like soundtracks aren't meant to be for her even though she's been on several but they've never seemed to be her like wheelhouse some artists really kill it on a soundtrack like garbage number one crush from romeo and juliet lisa Loeb, lisa Loeb, madonna beautiful stranger wow you're not even going dick tracy huh you're going beautiful stranger interesting oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) oh that's right Dick Tracy. Okay. Let's read this from The Dent regarding this song as a cover.
2: There's been a lot of discussion. You can, like, feel Mike Wise exhaustion at this point. <laughs> yes. There's been a lot of discussion as to whether Carnival is a new song or a cover. The song is a remake of the classic Magna de Carnival, which originated from the 1959 film Black Orpheus. The English lyrics were not emphasize not in all caps written by tori and italics and caps and italics he's like this is my final word on this stop emailing me
0: i will not be entertaining this any further
2: (laughs) there are many translations and versions of the lyrics and this version was just one that was familiar to her If you look at the credits for the song on the album, they say Carnival is written by Luis Bonfa, Hugo Peretti, Luigi Creatore, George David Weiss, produced by Tori Amos, mixed by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek. What these credits don't tell you, however, is the fact that the ending of the song, when the music gets faster, is a new composition by Tori that she placed at the end of the song to spice it up. This comes from a reliable source. So the song is mainly a cover, but with a unique ending written by Tori. I assume that means both the music and the words to the ending. So why do you suppose she didn't credit herself or they didn't credit her? Why? Maybe that's the point when she was just not doing any more work. And she's like, I can't be bothered
0: to do any copy editing. Send this to Sword and Stone. And Ennis and Amos was like, I don't know. Exactly. Like he wouldn't know. That seems a more plausible explanation than what I was going to come up with, which was she's collaborating with Hans Zimmer. Then there's a question as to who, depending on how this part was written, there's a question as to who actually composed it or had the idea or wrote it or et cetera, et cetera. And just to avoid like any of that nonsense, because she was done at the time, she had just quit working to avoid any of that, just like leave it. But it's probably more like what you said. She probably just didn't copy edit it. She probably didn't care. Mm hmm. But this is also kind of in line
2: with the Venus era liner notes when, unlike her previous albums, the credits for each song
0: aren't broken out, right? So maybe she's just like, eh. Oh, you're right. And we would have no way of knowing that it's her band. For example, with Siren, she came in and did all that with the musicians that Patrick Doyle had, like the orchestra there. So we would have no way of knowing that the band was on the song if she hadn't written that in the book, that the band was there rehearsing, you know, that they were doing Carnival as a band. Mm-hmm. Interesting, eh? This is also from The Dent. The U.S. and many other versions of the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack do not include the lyrics to the song. RGD, aka Mel, tells me that the Taiwanese version of the soundtrack includes the song lyrics to each track, except for the last one. The lyrics are in English, and this represents the first time that I have seen printed lyrics to Tori's Carnival. Here they are. As usual with printed lyrics, there may be some minor errors. I call these lyrics official, but there's always a chance that they are not. I have a question for you.
2: Are the lyrics to Carnival included in the lyrics book or not because it's a cover?
0: No, they're not included in the lyrics book. Good question, but they're not there. So our only source is the the Taiwanese version of the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack? Yeah, basically. And you know what? I dispute the officialness of the lyrics in the Taiwanese version. Why? Because it seems to me The way I look at lyrics, anytime you watch a video of an artist in the recording studio recording something, they always have a music stand with the lyrics on that. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the official lyric sheet. When that lyric sheet is reprinted in the booklet, that, to me, is official. And they may or may not include every ooh or utterance of every chorus. You know, It may not include it all because a lot of that can be built in the studio. But this to me seems like a transcription of what they think she's saying because it's like so much, you know? For example, the official lyrics have the word you twice. When she says you, you, I don't think she would write that in the lyrics lyrics. Mm-hmm. So I dispute the officialness just because it feels to me like a transcription.
2: I think that's true. And with Tori in particular, if there's like repetition in a song in the official lyrics book, she doesn't usually include that. Exactly. She's not like sweet the sting times three. Right. <laughs> Baby is it sweet times six. Yeah. And sometimes she's like periodic table of the elements. No, thank you. Bang. Uh, I would imagine that you're right And this seems transcribed But I also feel like this entire section Lyrically seems very
0: improvised The ending section? Yeah Well we're not there yet We gotta start at the beginning Roll it Oliver I sing to the sun in the sky. I sing to the sun rising high. Mm-hmm. This is why I dispute the officialness of these lyrics, because that's what they say. But it's clear to me when I listen to her that she's saying, I sing till the sun rises high. I sing. This really plays on the idea of, that it's the morning of the carnival, the mania de carnaval. Right. Doing a little sun salutation. Yeah. But here's a thing that's really difficult for us to do in this lyrics section in a way that it's not in other songs, is that these aren't even the original <laughs> lyrics of the song. Right. One might ask why we're doing it. One might. One could. One should. So, according to Wikipedia, it says, although not as popular as the vast number of interpretations with Portuguese lyrics, the song can also be found with a few English lyrics adaptations and in some other languages as well. And notes specifically, that these lyrics come from George David Weiss, Hugo Peretti, and Luigi Creatore, that they wrote an English lyric adaptation under the title Carnival, that this version was recorded originally by Perry Como in 1963, and again using the original cover name Mania de Carnival three years later. So roll the Perry Como version, Oliver. I'll
4: sing to the sun in the sky
5: I'LL SING TILL THE SUN RISES HIGH CARNIVAL TIME IS HERE MAGICAL TIME OF YEAR AND AS THE TIME DRAWS NEAR Dreams lift
1: my heart
0: It says that singer-songwriter Troy mis recorded this version of the song for the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Mm. But there's many others. Carl Sigmund wrote a different set of lyrics called A Day in the Life of a Fool. A
5: day in the life
3: of a fool
5: alone
3: Lonely day.
0: there's an arabic version with different lyrics called how i fear <laughs>
2: No wonder this is Tori's favorite cover. It's very biblical. There's like all these different translations and interpretations and things have been lost to time. It's like scripture.
0: I really like the way this begins, because if you woke up every morning singing to the sun in the sky, it just seems like there's so much hope in this line.
2: You also indicated that this seems particularly tied to the
0: plot of the movie, right? Wasn't there something about kids? Not the plot of the movie necessarily, but like that the kids do interpret it in a different way than you expect. Okay. Carnival time is here, magical time of year, and as the day draws near, dreams fill my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm really
2: sick of the 9 to 5 grind of American life. Also a song by Madonna. I think that's what she's talking about. In other parts of the world, things do really kind of shut down around carnival. What I would usually refer to as kind of like Mardi Gras time. We have no version of that
0: whatsoever. (laughs) Things like never close down. Maybe like Christmas Day. That's it. That's not even true. Because the Christmas season is so heavily reliant on retail. And that's all about workers. Mm -hmm. So it's not really even a car that we can all celebrate as a culture, as an American culture, as a United States culture. Depressing. Have you ever been to a carnival celebration or gone to South America no. at that time of year? Oh, No, I should though. I've been looking for a solo trip. I want to go do a solo journey.
2: Maybe you should do it this spring.
0: Maybe I should. I should find out when carnival is and maybe I should go. Mm -hmm. I'd have to learn Portuguese though because I don't like to not know the language in a place that I go. Oh my God. You really commit when you travel.
2: I have to. I have to become fluent in the language.
0: If you could make a carnival around one time of year here in the United States, what would you do? (laughs) Obviously Halloween. Oh, yeah, of course. I have taken the month of October
2: off in the past.
0: Like every year.
2: (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, I'm not in a position to be able to do that anymore, but at my prior job where I'd been there for a long time and I had a lot of vacations saved up, I was like, I'm not going to be here in October. And they came to expect it. It was (laughs) fun. God, I really had life figured out at one point. What happened?
0: Anyway. What happened? The whole month? Yeah. You did throw that one party at that one bar. Remember? That like month long harvest? I did. That was fun though. I
2: basically did that for you. That was my best takeaway from that whole event was you showing up and getting to spend time with you. (laughs) Could have done <laughs> without up. the rest of it. I'm serious.
4: I'll as the night wakes the dawn.
0: I sing while he plays his guitar. I sing as the night Wakes the dawn. I imagine Tori singing and playing with obviously Mac Aladdin, her husband, playing his guitar. The communion of two musicians playing together, Mm -hmm. creating temporary composition that may or may not be, especially if it's not being recorded. If they're just playing together and it's like wrapping around each other and winding around each other for that moment only, it's got to be like making some sort of artistic love golly rolling and unrolling
2: yeah coiling one might say emerging this is very i'm like feeling tori in these lyrics now that we're sitting with it i'll sing as the night wakes the dawn she loves personifying emotion season times of the day even this is almost seeming a little like midwinter's carol to me passing the torch as it was intended i'll sing as night wakes the dawn
0: oh <laughs> yeah I love it. It's
2: like, good morning, it's your turn.
0: The original Perry Como lyrics that I'm reading say, I'll sing as I play my guitar, which is also, I think, directly from the film, because he's playing a guitar when he sings this. Mm-hmm. But she obviously doesn't play a guitar, so she changes it to, I'll sing while he plays his guitar. Right.
2: She's like, I've made this mistake in the past. I got a piano. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to sing while you play your guitar. Right. <laughs> Do you think she's ever played a guitar? I hope so. That's a missed opportunity for
0: YKTR, don't you think? She could have strapped on a guitar. Absolutely. I think she probably did. I think she probably had one. Everyone was doing it in the 80s. I'm sure she was. What's the point of that? Does it just look,
2: I don't want to say cool, but I guess maybe that was the idea because it doesn't function differently than
0: a keyboard, right? No, the function's the same, but at least you can stand up and move around. Okay. Face your goddamn audience while you sing without tearing up your spine and opening your legs. How do you do it? Good Lord. (laughs) love come my way on this magical day and will love stay in my heart it is so demanding you want true love and you want it to stay it's not how it works amos i love how this is obviously filling you with fear because this is the second time you've come at it from this perspective <laughs> Uh, That it's full of pressure. Oh, no. It's full of pressure and stress for you to approach these lines. If we're going to start telling the truth on this show, I'm going to bed. (laughs) Because I'm hearing these lines as the most hopeful lines of the song. Will love come my way on this magical day? Like you wake up in the morning, the mania de carnaval, with so much hope and possibility Mm -hmm. that even love could come your way. Like you just feel... Like this is going to be a revolutionary time for you. Have you ever felt that way? I don't know. I just feel very pressured by this line of questioning. I feel the need
2: to be like, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus and there is true love. (laughs) Don't you worry. Who's Virginia? Is it Virginia? What's her name? What's the name of the little girl who wrote the letter asking if there's a Santa Claus? Oh, I don't know. Hang on. Let me look it up. I was right. It is Virginia. Okay, just making sure. Ooh, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. You'll remember his name. Don't say that word. What? <laughs> You're Virginia. <laughs> yes, Virginia. <laughs>
0: you ever had a time in your life where you felt that love was gonna come your way on that magical day yeah yeah last time i manifested it great and that's your carnival mm. like that's your carnival you know your ritual yes i do love a ritual kidding aside we know you do <laughs> Carnival time is here, magical time of year, and as the time draws near, dreams fill my heart. Mm. Again, Mm. capturing that expectation, that hope, that possibility, anything could happen. So wistful.
2: Is there a time of year for you when you become more optimistic about life in general, but also love?
0: Yes, the beginning of the year. Like at the early months of the year, I think are my best months of the year. Really? Yeah, I feel like anything can happen. I need to take a little bit of that. You should. Take as much from me as you will. (laughs) I sing while he plays his guitar. I'll sing my dream from afar. This is where for me, David, it gets a little sad. Like she woke up in the morning hoping for true love. Will true love come my way? And as the afternoon has gone on, she's getting less and less hopeful. Will true love come my way on this magical day or will love only live in my... In my what? What do you think happening here? Because I have a thought. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I want to hear yours to see if it's different than mine without revealing mine. I feel like she trails
2: off almost as if like it's too much, too oh. much to consider, but also she leaves the possibility hanging in the air. I like it. What were you going to say?
0: I've always heard this as like a subversion of the whole song, like in this moment where the electronics come in a little bit more and she says will true love come my way on this magical day or will love only live in my and then you're expecting her to say heart, right? Mm -hmm. But she doesn't. Or will love only live, which is a difference of love coming her way, it's only gonna live in her dreams or whatever. Because in the live version she says, or will love only live in my dreams? So it's her not getting the love that she's hoping for in the rest of the song. It's like a definitive answer. If love will come her way, no, it will not. It's only gonna live in her dreams. So to me, this is a subversion of the whole song and then carrying on with her own lyrics which don't seem very loving. They sure don't. Yeah. That's what my opinion is. She's answering the question if love will come her way. And the answer is no. (laughs) No, it will not. (laughs) Which is
2: kind of odd because she's at a time in her life when it has, presumably. Yeah. Unless this is
0: a cry for help. No, she's writing for visuals. She's writing for visuals. (laughs) Remember, she's watching Tom Cruise fall to his death on the canyon or whatever he's holding on to in the cover. I don't think he dies. I never watched it. But there's a picture of him like hanging from the mountain. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's like the iconic sequence from Mission Impossible 2, I think, is that cliffhanging. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So she's probably thinking, no, love will only live in his dreams because he's going to die from falling off the cliff. Do you think they've ever met? I would love. Oh my God. I have just now, what is it called when you reverse engineer? Like I've Mandela affected her onto the couch on the Oprah interview where he's bouncing around. He's bouncing her up and down because she's sitting on the other side and she's like has his hand. When he sits back down, she's so excited for him to have met Katie Holmes. She's like holding his hand like at a meet and greet. I would love to see that meeting. They're like the same height. She can say that. She wears heels. Mm-hmm. So are you picturing like a Graham
2: Norton type arrangement where there's like multiple guests, but Oprah is the yeah, host? Yeah, multiple I, famous people. That's actually like my dream. Oh. I want Oprah to host everything, including my funeral.
0: Oh my God. I'll try to get her. Assuming you die first. <laughs> oh, I definitely will. What does that mean? Don't say that. I feel like I'm dying on this episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> See? I'm here to prop you up. <laughs> Plan my
2: funeral. Feels like it's already happening. I'm here to prop you up, Bernie.
3: Stop.
0: So this is where the lyrics change. And so in the lyrics book, it says, stay in me, stay in me, stay in my you. And then it
2: explodes. What do you think she's saying there? What do I think she's actually saying there? I think that is what she's
0: saying. Oh, you're thinking she's saying stay in me, stay in me, stay in my you. Stay in my, and then it just trails off. Yeah. Yeah.
2: she does like tori-esque wailing you like that's not connected this is like a separate thought she's not singing stay in my you no i know
0: that but... okay just check <laughs> just saying no but what do you think she's what is the subtext of this moment
2: i don't know that there is any and i'm gonna go back to what i suggested before obviously i don't know how this part was crafted in the studio but it seems very Improvised to me. And mm. it's also obviously like highly produced. So I don't know if the lyrics were written beforehand or if she's just improvising and vocalizing. Cause you know, there are pieces that sound like the end of Plugged Bells for her or just like a Tory jam where she's singing words that aren't necessarily premeditated.
0: I agree with you. I never would imagine that she'd write these words out these do feel very like off the cuff in the moment and then there's probably a lot of production surrounding like how they're layered as opposed to like lyrical choices that she's making Mm -hmm. production choices i agree way you walk and i know the way you can but i don't think she's saying that but i don't think she's saying that you don't
2: no oh that's what it sounds like to me. What do you think she's singing?
0: The way you walk and I know the way you can. You think that she's saying that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that doesn't mean I'm right. What do you think? Or what do you know? Well, no, I don't know nothing. I know nothing about nothing. But this is what's written in the lyric sheet from the Taiwanese booklet. So I can only assume it's right. But again, she wasn't working on anything. And she wasn't copy editing anything, probably. She was probably done with all work. So there's no way to know but i think she's saying the way you walk in the door the way you can the way you walk in the door the way you can That's what I've always thought. That's all what I've always heard. I've mm. tried to hear it your way. I've tried to hear it because these lyrics have been around for a long time. I've tried to hear it that way. I cannot hear it that way. The way, door, the, way the way you walk in a door, the way you can. You see? This could be an Agent Orange situation
2: too. Like You don't happen to believe that the Agent Orange lyrics included in the lyric book are what she's actually singing on the album. Right. And in that case, I think she's like trying to go back on her own
0: and like, what the fuck did I say? She's
2: like, covering <laughs> her own tracks and she's like, I don't know if I said anything about ooh, A to
0: Z and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Let's just write that it's really deep and meaningful. <laughs> exactly. So I think she's saying the way you walk in a door the way you can. Okay. Because you know how some people can walk into a room and change the whole energy of the space. Well, now you're just talking about concertina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's talked about it before. The way people can walk into a room and change the energy. So I what I think she's saying is the way you walk in the door, the way you can, the way you're telling me you're not a dangerous man, but I see that you are because you've changed the energy of the room. Mm-hmm. You've walked in the door in a certain way, and you're telling me you're not a dangerous man, but the way she writes that lyric or the way she says that lyric implies to me that he is a dangerous man. Mm-hmm. The way you're telling me you're not a dangerous man is this the
2: part where she was really writing to the visual because this becomes
0: very like dos equis. oh yeah you know what we should go back and watch mission impossible 2 for the first time <laughs> go back and re-watch it for the first time and see if there's a moment where someone walks in the door and if she's literally like improvising or vocalizing while like watching it maybe that will give a clue to where the song was originally supposed to be placed yeah
2: yeah <laughs> and tori's at the bar and she's like i feel like this guy is like a spy but he's lying to me but i know you don't know but i know
0: very intuitive the so, way well, you're telling me you're not a dangerous man exactly mm-hmm. do you think that what i'm saying has merit But in this specific case. (laughs) That she was writing to the visual of the movie? No, that the lyrics that I think I hear
2: are right. I don't know. I'm going to have to listen very closely, but probably. You speak Tori a lot better than I do.
0: No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. You have a very trained ear. Are you talking about the size of my ears again? No. Let's let you hear it again. Roll it, Oliver.
2: I feel like these lyrics are accurate. I know her pronunciation is kind of, (laughs) and I know, and I know. I could, you know, understand why you might think that sounds like Dora, but I think it's just Tori being Tori singing, oh, the way you
3: the can. New. The
2: way you can. I love this part so much. I forgot how much I love this. <laughs>
0: it's good. It slaps. It slaps. <laughs> it does. It's a banger. You might be right.
2: And that sounds like what she would sing when she's improvising something. There's like a lot of, and I know, and I say, and again, and baby Like that's, I don't know. That just seems right to me.
0: But I still think Ultimately, the sentiment is the same. The way you walk, and I know the way you can, even if that is lyric, I still think he's dangerous, even though he's telling her he's not dangerous. Oh, he definitely is. Definitely dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, say again, I, say I, say I say again, I say again, I'm not that kind of woman.
2: Can I tell you for, I don't know how long, I was going to say a long time. Without the lyrics or before I heard differently, I thought she was saying, I'm not that carnival. (laughs) So, you never know. No, I think that's exactly what it sounds
0: like. Yeah, it does, right? Yeah, I think she is saying carnival, and it's placed in the same spot as woman. I'm not that kind of woman. Carnival, it's like layered together, so it's like the same thing. And I think it sounds like that, right? Yeah.
2: Tori's like freaking Pazuzu. There's like two demonic voices coming out of her at the same time, singing different words. It's the
0: twins. These are the Heart of Gold
2: twins. Oh, my God, this is their first appearance, right? And of course, it's not glamorous, it's just business. It's just business. They're like spies, right? Right. Do you think this was when they were born? And Tori's like, I got it. Strange little girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but i'll tell you i'm not that carnival is also very meaningful to me even if because the lyrics say i'm not that kind of woman which i love i'm not that kind of woman as a reference to him being a dangerous man i'm not that kind of woman like i'm not gonna play it dangerously i'm gonna play it safe i'm in a fierce calm right now
2: and i'm not that carnival stop using my body as a playground
0: exactly like i love i'm not that carnival like you can't play me i'm not that carnival you can go have your carnival. I'm not that kind of woman. Mm-hmm. Everybody plays the fool, but not this guy. Not this woman.
2: Not this walman. <laughs> I love that so much.
0: Kind of
2: woman. I'm so glad to hear you say that, though. I felt so dumb because it really sounds like she's singing carnival to me. I'm not that carnival or maybe carnivore. Dang.
0: You know what's interesting about this song is that a lot of people have forgotten about how good that ending is. Like, you forgot about it. I did. All you do is think about Tori <laughs> That's true. (laughs) So people who don't think about her as often as you do might have absolutely forgotten about this. And I included this song on the trailer for this podcast 400 years ago I included a bit from this song and that was like one of the biggest comments was what's that song what's that song I'm like y'all that's carnival mm-hmm. who doesn't know carnival but that's when I realized what I was up against I was up against having to educate the world mm-hmm. I needed to educate the people I don't want to use the incorrect kind of
2: musical term but I just love the flamenco flair guitar zing at the end it's so
0: good <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about yeah the like acoustic little
2: little Yeah. This is like so well produced. I think it's so cool.
0: I agree. But that to me, that little carnival guitar at the end is what makes me feel like this is a little not, it didn't ever reach its full potential. It's like it ends really abruptly. You know, I feel like that end could go on forever. And I'd love an official remix of that. end. like that end could go on forever. You know, it could be a dance. I think it's perfect. It doesn't overstay
2: its welcome. There's this long buildup and then like someone kicks in the door and is like, it's time for bed, bitches. Too late. We're already asleep and then it's <laughs> over. And you're like, what the fuck just
0: happened? Nothing. No big deal. <laughs> what is your favorite lyrical moment in this oh song? My God, I'm not that kind of woman. I'm not that kind of woman. Or is it I'm
2: not that carnival? Either way, I'll take it.
0: I love it all. I love that, of course, that was the only lyrical moment that she's responsible for technically. But I do like how I feel when she says, I sing while he plays his guitar. How do you feel? I feel in communion. I feel like she's in communion with someone that uh, there's an artistic relationship there that is, I don't know. It just sounds so beautiful. And that's what reminds me of Astrid Gilberto and Jao Gilberto. And, like, that whole Bossa Nova thing is, like, these people sitting by the water, playing music, sitting in a circle, you know? I don't know. It reminds me of my youth in a weird way. I'm
2: going to ask you something, and I don't want you to take it as a criticism. Well, too late. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just wondering if this is like, you speak so poetically. Is this the way you talk? <laughs> Are you telling me the way you can? You're not a dangerous man. You said like, you feel like you're in communion. And I'm just wondering if that's how you speak or if you've just been immersed in like Tori Rosetta Stone for so long that you pep- <laughs> like you pepper things in without even realizing it. You're like, I feel like I'm in like lover's communion. Like his body is like a
0: sculpture. <laughs> you're so right. I don't even know who I am anymore. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. I've been doing this podcast so so long, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> Not exactly what I'm saying, but... Well, that's what I meant. <laughs> no, right. I, I think I talk that way. I like to be in communion. I like it either way. In Congress. Sweet communion. Mm-hmm. With my body and my soul. Dang. What's your favorite vocal performance? And why is it... The way you walk in, I know, the way you can. Yeah, there is something kind of sinister and menacing about it. Has she ever whispered in a song like this before? This song is wild. This song is radically different, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> i feel like i should immediately know the answer to that question has she ever whispered in a song before
0: up to this point has she ever like stage whispered like yeah this?
2: i'm coming up empty-handed i can't think of an example can you
0: i can't either no yeah she rarely whispers normally she bumps her vocals up to the front and puts it on blast if anyone else out there can think of an example of her whispering, please let us know. Favorite vocal moment? I don't know. Like I
2: said, I love the u's because they're very Virginia. They're very, um, bells for her,
0: plugged.
3: You. you.
0: Yeah. Should we listen to Yanta? Yonters. Let's do it. What is she playing there? What is this instrument? file. Oh, but like what's the sample? What's it supposed to be? Yeah. I don't know. Like church bells, maybe? Like in a high maybe. octave? Maybe.
2: It's kind of like tubular bellsy, huh?
0: Yeah. Almost like a pipe organ thingy.
2: It's more music boxy, though.
0: I feel like that's a lot to do with processing because there's a lot of reverb here. Mm.
3: Ooh.
2: These were all put on Apple Music, like little earthquakes.
0: Only a minute into this, I'm initially surprised at how little the music is relying on the melody of the song. I didn't realize it was like mostly vocal. Okay, Detoura.
2: This is so cool. It is like Mike Oldfield. surprised by how buried this all is
0: there's also accounting for the drums the drums are a big part of the song
2: brushing what's he gonna do during the last movement I'm scared.
0: true transcription or is he covering? I think he's covering. He doesn't often take libertés. those two top notes mm-hmm. so i feel like there's gotta be piano there that he's found lovely what do you think
2: i loved it i feel like that's kind of what a nordstrom pianist would do on his last day when he quits he's like you can't fire me <laughs> and i quit i don't even care slam the lid shut and walk out the door
0: right the way he can <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved it. I thought that was beautiful. I can't stress enough how cool I think this song is, how cool I think her cover is. It is cool. Yeah. I love everything about it. So hearing Yanta do it, beautiful, beautiful.
2: Yonta forever. I say it every time and I'll keep saying it. I have new appreciation for every song after hearing the Yonta version.
0: Support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta. What do you think is your favorite musical moment?
2: Well, I mean, it's not included in the Yonta version, but I do love that guitar twang. You don't, I guess, but I think it's very cool.
0: I never said I don't. It just feels like a succinct, quick ending to a song that could have gone further. That's Mm -hmm. all I was saying. What would you have done? So
2: let's say that you're the person giving Tori the notes and she's like, nope, I'm done. What would your note say?
0: More, give me more. More, give me more. I would have said this song needs to be at least seven minutes longer, please. Okay. No wonder she's intimidated by that note. Uh you do embrace editing me yeah the three-hour podcast guy i know (laughs) i heard it as i was saying it yeah let's embrace editing david (laughs) now now a warning although as fair warning, glad you're bringing it up, but we might as well tell the people now, the Strange Little Girls season is going to be much shorter per episode. Why? Because you didn't write any of those damn songs. Well,
2: we're doing a good job on this one, making it girthy, so.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, she didn't write this one either. Oh, <laughs> never mind. All right, who would play Carnival in the film version? Oh, God, how
2: am I never prepared for this question and you ask it every time? I feel so stupid.
0: How are you not prepared?
2: Uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Ooh, I like it. Oh. Helena Bonham Carnival. Why? Tell me why. I don't, that's just what came to mind. There's something kind of late 90s, early 2000s about her. I'm thinking like Fight Club era, but maybe a little Bellatrix Lestrange too. I know that's later, but still, that's just what was coming up. It feels wild. It feels unexpected. I could just see her. I got a snapshot of Helena Bonham Carter, primarily over the Tory Penned segment of the song. Do I need to argue for it anymore? No, I thought that was great. Advocate for it? Okay.
0: How about you? My instinct is telling me to go with Jamie Clayton. Do you know Jamie Clayton?
2: I believe so, but I'm having a hard time picturing them as you say that. Go on. She was on Sense8. That was her big role. Oh, does she play Pinhead in the new Hellraiser? Does she? I think so.
0: Yes, she does. That's wild. I told you. She's very cool. There's something very elegant, but also very strong about her. And I think that that's important in this song because she says, I'm not that kind of woman. She can stand up to this dangerous man. Yeah. And she's also very cool. You know, she could wear a smoky eye and look really good in
2: all black. These are important qualities in a hell priest too, which is why she plays Pinhead in Hellraiser.
0: I didn't know that. So now I got to see that. (laughs) That's amazing. If you like sheet music, you can also go to figuretoryout.com, which is our friend Paul Roy's website. Paul Roy has spent 20, 20 plus years pulling sheet music from the Yahoo group, Figuratory Out, where he was the moderator. Now it's all on figuratoryout.com. You can get access to it by being a member and it's free to be a member. So head over there now if you like sheet music. It's all kinds of weird stuff up there. Sheet music makes me want to learn how to play music. Do you like sheet music? I love sheet music. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to pick up the ukulele more. I joined a ukulele circle. A ukulele? Yeah, I'm trying different avenues in my life. I'm trying different hobbies, things that I don't, I've never really done before, like ukulele, watercolors. Check in with me next year. We'll see how far I've gotten on any of them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh huh. Uh yeah. huh.
0: Play the Julio Iglesias version of this song. Team Enrique.
5: La vida uma nova son E a minha voz vai até A te a te En seu caminho vai Sempre a cantar Das cordas do meu violão que só teu amor procurou vem uma voz pois há de chegar amanhã de carnaval
0: are happy to have back to the show Stephen Sisk Provencio. He was last on our show... 400 years ago on our voodoo episode, it feels like 400 (laughs) years, he's a social worker by trade, a wine drinker by choice, and a cat mom. Hi, Steven. Hi. Oh, I forgot to say you're also a Carnival super fan.
10: I didn't know that until this whole process of leaning forward saying, I like this song, but I think over the weekend, kind of doing some background research, I'm like, how did I turn into like a Carnival super fan?
0: It's a great song. That's how. It is. You opened yourself to the beauty and the magic. Yeah. Remind everybody, since it's been so long, tell the people your Tory story.
10: Tory, oh my gosh. Uh, 1996 first Mm. show was June 23rd, Santa Barbara show. Immediately loved it so much we saw L.A. June 30th the next weekend. Yeah, but before that I kind of got turned on to Tori through a friend of mine in high school and Little Earthquakes had come out. I was buying singles at that point so I bought God as a single Under the Pink and then went back to Little Earthquakes and by that time Voice for Paley was coming out so I could could just sink in with the releases as they were coming real time. And been a super fan ever since.
0: Let's take a moment to honor that time. What a time that was, right? <laughs> there was a lot to explore too, because
10: he had the import mm-hmm. boots, boots galore. Oh my gosh! There was a Santa Barbara record store that had all the silver boots, the disc boots, and you never know sound quality, so you kind of have to take a risk and. Yeah,
0: you said the word "single," and I like had this strange, like, nostalgic reaction. Like, oh, remember those? Like, I remember holding part whole, like, one, part two. Yeah, part one, part two, because <laughs> the very first single I got from Under the Pink was the God single in a little cardboard sleeve with a little click case.
10: <laughs> I mm-hmm. love that one. We were so young. Mine was a promo God, and it was a single. It was, that's the only song that was on there. Was just God, oh. one track, and you just put it on repeat and let it play and let it play. And you fun. didn't
0: get the Home on the Range, the song of my people.
10: No, that came,
0: <laughs> that came later.
10: Once I knew. <laughs> once i got into
0: it you just said that you have discovered your carnival superfan through the course of research talk to us about your process for this song
10: well i saw mission impossible too, and it came out back in the 2000 that makes one of us (laughs) (laughs) it's not a great movie and watching it this weekend again and kind of getting some backstory just reminded me the rest of the series is actually quite good i mean it's episodic and silly especially that first one But the second movie was really kind of, they didn't know what they were going to do with the movie and the series. It really wasn't a series at that point. It was just like a surprise hit. The reboot of a movie of a TV show was so well received. But that was a faithful interpretation of the TV show. So the second one, they were like, okay, well, we can do more with this. But do we want to keep it in that same structure? Or do we want to try new things? And part two is the only time they really tried kind of some really bold new things. Most of the fans are kind of like, yeah, we didn't quite like, what's going on here. Let's go back to something a little bit more episodic and that's why J.J. Abrams in part three. Part two, they tried to weave in a lot of things. They weaved in the plot from Notorious, Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Oh, I know that movie. Yeah, have you ever seen that movie? It's kind of Cary Grant has to put his love interest in harm's way in order to catch the Nazis in a short, very quick way of summarizing that movie. But he's in love with her and he's like, I have to put her in harm's way. And so that shows up in Mission Impossible 2 when they meet one another. They meet, they sort of have a, a connection. Then he has to go approach her with this idea of putting her in harm's way. And they kind of say very similar lines as Notorious. It's For part two, they're lifting themes from other movies. They're lifting a lot from Black Orpheus, which is what Carnival is, the movie that Carnival is from. Um, so they're pulling themes from other movies into Mission Impossible 2, mainly just to enhance Mission Impossible 2, like give it some gravity, give it some weight, give it some romance that maybe not might not be on the page. So it's kind of an interesting movie how they were, didn't, weren't sure where they were gonna go with it. Let's embolden it with all these different themes and see where we go. And then the fan base just kind of said, what, what is this? But I will say out of all the films, he falls in love with a lot of people across the series. There's a love interest in every one of the movies. I would say this one with Tandy Newton as the thief character, uh, Naya. I think most of the fans are waiting for her to come back. Like whatever happened to that love story, that really was a strong, like you could believe that they were in love. Okay,
0: I have three questions for you. First of all, thank you for that sort of uh, brief on Mission Impossible 2. And now it completely makes sense why or possibly why this song is included in the film. Because when I look, I actually have the soundtrack. I'm holding it in my hands. And when I look at this roster of bands, and we've talked about this briefly earlier, Limp Biscuit, Metallica, Rob Zombie, The Pimps, God Smack, Diffuser, Buckcherry. It just doesn't feel like Tori fits. And for the song to not even appear in the movie, it's even more puzzling. So you saying yeah. that it's pulling things from Black Orpheus kind of gives me the reason that I was looking for for why this is on there, that maybe Hans Zimmer sort of clued into that theme and pulled her in that yeah. way. So that's what I'm going to just assume is the case, since Hans Zimmer did respond to us but said he was not available for an interview. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> well, he's busy. You know, he's on tour, and I get it. Tour is really rough. He's Zimmering. I know.
10: <laughs> I assumed the song was in the movie all these years when I watched it this last week, and I'm like watching or listening, <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe it was. Maybe it's in the credits. So I look, go through all the credits. There's no use of Tori's version of Carnival in there. However, in any of the romantic scenes between Danny Newton and Tom Cruise, Hans Zimmer has used the Carnival like a motif, like a motif. Oh, interesting. A piano little. There's kind of a few notes that kind of are from Carnival that kind of are in the background of every one of their love scenes Love it. along the way. There is one scene in the movie where I was expecting it. And I'm like, that would be the perfect moment to have used Tori's version as background to the beginning of their love story when they first kind of have an intimate connection through this very super stylized. They're chasing each other through mountain passes in sports cars and doing this like auto ballet with their cars crashing. You as know. young lovers do. Yes, but actually they're coming out of a night scene, and they're she's fleeing and he's chasing her, and it's going into morning. And so, Mana de Carnaval is the morning of Carnival. So yeah. that would have been a perfect. And this is oh. going to be their, their their one intimate moment where their intimacy is just starting to form. And the song isn't used even there. What a waste. (laughs) They have a sexual intimacy night and the song's not used even there. So yeah, it's a total waste of a romantic song that could have heightened in a direct way, bringing in Carnival lyrics into a scene. But instead he uses just kind of the piano, a little bit of tinkling of it behind.
0: What a shame. That is such a shame to hear. Okay. So tell us more about your love for the songs. How did your love for Carnival develop through this process? Talk to us about that. Like, where did you start from and and how do you feel now?
10: So I knew about the song because my dad exposed me a lot to jazz music from 50s, 60s, 70s, moving forward. And then also Bossa Nova as an outgrowth of, of jazz. It's a huge song. One of the first big Bossa Nova exports out of Brazil So kind of like everyone had either the soundtrack or that song showed up a lot, or it was covered 700 times along the way over the last 60 years. And along the way, one of my first big relationships, uh, my boyfriend at the time was a Cher fan and he had a million Cher CDs. And I didn't really have a huge Cher background, maybe, you know, Gypsy's Champs or Dark Lady, but didn't know like she basically released an album every year for a long period of time, or two albums a year. Um, so I had a lot to catch up on during the days that I was home, and I'd pull CDs. And there's one CD where she covers Carnival. And actually, she calls it Carnival, like Tori calls it Carnival, I'm not Mona Carnival. Carnival. Uh, but she does an English-based version of that. So my love came through kind of just that background of my dad, and my dad exposing me to jazz music, Bossa Nova, a boyfriend who had the share moment and the connection with Cher's cover. And then at the same time, I was watching a lot of movies and renting um, like Criterion Collection releases. Black Orpheus it was an early one that I watched. I fell in love with that movie.
0: What a great movie, right?
10: Oh my God. I watched that over the weekend too. So good. Such a beautiful movie. And they use the the theme on a de Carnival in like several different ways. Different characters sing it. Some don't appear in the film, but they're on the soundtrack. And it kind of changes the tone or the meaning depending on if it's only Orpheus singing the whole thing to Eurydice as the the Greek myth that's behind Black Orpheus and the song or there's a version on the soundtrack that doesn't appear in the film Black Orpheus where Eurydice is singing to or about kind of their love and she has kind of an equal agency in the song where she's singing the sun in the sky rather than Orpheus being the one who historically by myth has the power to move the sun across the sky with guitar playing or heel through his singing poetry like she steals some of that away. So her singing has power and he's just playing the guitar is how it kind of reads when she sings it. I sing while you play. So Tori's version actually is kind of, the version that Cher also borrowed as well, other popular artists were using these lyrics because also the lyrics for the song have changed as it's interpreted outside of Brazil and done in English. People will add different lyrical interpretations that make the song sound a little bit better. It wouldn't translate from Brazilian to English and sound maybe as good in English, to an English ear. So they've kind of swayed the lyrics just a little bit with the same sort of emotional content. So Tori uses the share version that's kind of the English kind of second uh, lyric interpretation. It's not the exact lyrics they're in at de carnival in Black Orpheus. Tori does what other popular artists have done, and kind of she adds her own lyrical stamp to the song with that coda at the end.
0: Okay, so it's generally accepted that she's saying, I say it again, the way you walk, and I know the way you can, the way you're telling me you're not a dangerous man. That's what David believes she's saying, but I think she's saying, the way you walk in the door the way you can. Tell me what you hear.
10: I hear David. Oh. Sorry.
0: You know what? I recently posted a poll, by the way, on Instagram, team noun or team verb, and most people chose verb, and I realized the tides have turned not in my favor, so I'm retiring. Steven, thank you. This will be my last interview. <laughs> okay. Is this your favorite part of the song?
10: No. No? <laughs> no? no? Um, yeah, I don't like the buildup because the, the song is so measured through the whole thing, and then you're building, and then you get this explosion. I feel like it needed to go on longer. Like, it's... Truncated and you just sort of end it really quick, and the lyrics are kind of a little bit can't really hear what she's saying. Like, so it's a little unsatisfying that last little piece. I just wish it would have gone on more, or the drums would have been woven in earlier so that we could get that excitement and maybe go back and forth between the two tempos. I don't not like it. I just wish that there was more. Me too.
0: There. I wish it was longer. It should have been like six or seven minutes. I could have gone on with that piece forever. I really, really love the production of it, but I agree. Like, because it comes in so late, it feels like it should have been longer. That's what I think. <laughs> Then what is your favorite moment
10: of the song? Maybe when she just says, like, will true love come my way on this carnival day? Or maybe when she says, like, sing the sun through the sky. I just love that that sort of mythical weaving in of uh-huh. the Orpheus and the Riodisi in the lyrics. I love when Tori uses overt Greek or other mythological stories that are in the song. I mean, she creates her own myths in her own songs, but kind of uses the background of another myth to enhance the front story of what's going on between two characters. Mm-hmm. I love that use of the heightening. Kind of what MIA2 is doing is using other themes to help embolden maybe what's going on in the story of their own. So I like how she leaves those in there. So the mythological uses are really good. I'm glad that she's referencing this. this
0: Well, this has been a wholly enlightening conversation. I never expected to hear and learn so much about Mission Impossible 2. Follow Stephen Sisk Provencio on More Coded on Instagram. Stephen, this has been wonderful. Thank you for being here. And we'll absolutely talk again. Yay. Bye bye as always you can get that full interview on our patreon feed patreon.com songs of Troy Amos. a lot of amazing information thanks to steven and we'll be right back with uh i guess the live lounge I'll sing
6: to the sun in the sky i'll sing Carnival time is here Magical time of year And as the time draws near Dreams lift my heart I'll sing as I play my guitar I'll climb to a dream from afar. Will love come my way this carnival day and stay here?
9: You are a
0: Welcome to the lounge, David. Thank you. It's all decked out. You got flags hanging. Very carnival. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think of my Ferris wheel? I got confused. I was designing a circus. It
2: is confusing. It's okay. And you have a cardboard cut out of Kathy Lee just in case. Well, I was designing a carnival cruise, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. If you could see me now on this carnival cruise. I was designing a
0: renaissance fair. Whoops. (laughs) Oh, God. That's my nightmare. No offense. On guard.
2: Nope. (laughs) No ale-drenched pelts for me.
0: Ye old ale? Ye old wassail? Mm-hmm. Oh, i
2: love to go at wassailing.
0: I'm very excited to be participating in this lounge with you this time, David. You know why? Why?
2: You haven't been before?
0: I have been moderately excited. But today, babies and gabies, we are thrilled to have here with us David Nadine Anderson, who has actually listened to all the surviving live versions of Carnival. Um, because... <laughs> There are only five. <laughs> you only sent me one. I sent you five. No, you didn't. I sent you literally the entire folder on Google Drive. You didn't. Yes, I did.
2: Said Songs of Amos podcast has shared the following item, Manchester, 11 Are you kidding? All right. Hold on, people. And I double-checked to see everything that was shared with me.
0: I'm moderately excited to be doing this (laughs) act of the show been downgraded (laughs) Sorry, David, we'll do it again for another one. We'll do it again for New Age.
2: That has relatively like low performance count too, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, wonderful.
0: And this is my fault. I take full responsibility for this one because I only accidentally shared with David one performance as opposed to the folder that had all five. It was a good one though. It wasn't even the best one in my opinion. Because it was solo? It was the only one that was solo of the five too. That's interesting. She's performed this song five times throughout her career and we're just gonna cut to the chase. She's done it three times on the Scarlet's Walk tour. One time on the American Doll Posse tour, Mommy, kiss me and one time on the Night of Hunters tour. Like I said, four of those five times have been done with the band, and only one time was solo. And then one time, in fact, was performed as Santa. Guess which one? Which one? 2011. Just kidding. 2007. <laughs> Could you imagine her doing the Night of Hunters tour as the dolls? I can. That would have been amazing. She comes out as Santa and just does the exact same. Like she does Star Whisperer <laughs> as Santa, but like horny. But it's like Star Whisperer horny. Still, you know, she's like got fairy wings on. She's like I didn't know there
2: was another way to do it.
0: I agree. <laughs> you know, when she finally performed Siren on the 98 tour, you were there, right? Like, that was a big get on that tour. I mean, I saw it. I don't think it was at the debut performance. But it was a big get for that tour, you recall. Yeah. It was like something everybody was working for. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) We were all rooting for you, Siren.
0: No, really. And I feel like with Siren... It could have gone the absolute other way. If the people who go to the shows, if the ears with feet no, hadn't been requesting it so much, she might not have realized it was so beloved because it was like kind of a one-off for her, right? But
2: it had just come out, basically.
0: It had, but it took a long time for it to get played on the 98 tour. That's true. I got played. We all got played for that reason, so... I think siren could have just been a song that was eventually forgotten if she hadn't realized that it was so beloved because when did the tour start april but the song didn't get played until august of 98 Mm -hmm. so like It seemed like she had forgotten it. I don't know. Maybe she hadn't.
2: Maybe. It's a non-album track, and she was working up beloved earlier album songs at that point. So I think it makes sense that it took a while to kind of filter down. But
0: The reason I bring that up is because that's how I felt with Carnival, because I did a lot of the 2001 tour, Mm -hmm. and that was the most, except for Strange Little Girls, obviously, Carnival was the most recent release venus had already been toured for then there was this one song carnival and then strange little girls and she had played basically all of strange little girls by that point with the exception even bonnie and clyde for example obviously she didn't play happiness as a warm gun for a really long time but this is the glaring song that she didn't play carnival like it was To me, apparent that she wasn't playing Carnival. So I thought it was gonna go by the wayside and she was never gonna play it. So the first time she played it in November, on November 27th, 2002 in Chicago, it was life-changing. It changed your life? I was obsessed with it for the first four minutes. And then when she didn't do the ending, I was angry. (laughs) And you lost interest. No, i never have lost interest. Roll it, Oliver. I listened to that MP3 from hereinmyhead.com diagnosed sounds like a thousand times. That's a lot. Do you like it?
2: I do. I saw, you must, did you ever see it on that tour? You did because you went to so many Scarlett's Walk shows, right?
0: I did see it one time in Santa Barbara.
2: Me too. Oh my gosh, another (gasps) moment when we shared the same space.
0: Oh my god, we did.
2: Yeah, you know what's, I'm gonna tell you a story no one will care about very quickly. That venue, the Arlington, where she played in Santa Barbara, also doubles as a movie theater. Oh, it does? Yes, and when I was a very small child i saw back to the future in that theater
0: (laughs) anyway oh and she was going back to the past with that cover
2: she was she always dips into the energy
0: but with hope for the future and true love so that comes full circle Mm -hmm. so you could say she herself is marty mcfly oh you could say she herself is doc that seems more likely she's wild-eyed experimenting here's the second time she performed it on the Scarlet's Walk tour this was March 4th 2003 in Durham What is going on with this song? Did someone ask for it? I'm sure, yeah. I remember in Chicago the first performance was a request.
2: And she bothers to work up a band arrangement and then she does it a handful of times. And like, what's, is there any rhyme or reason to what city she played this in or when it made an appearance? Very mysterious, so very Mission Impossible too.
0: I don't feel like it took too long to work up this band arrangement. It's- Dang. No, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's not what I mean. No, it's very vibey. It's very like you riff on a theme and that's what keeps the bossa nova flavor to it, the jazz flavor to it. That- like still stays
2: you're right they're professionals they could probably run through it twice and they're like we got it
0: exactly and, and it's, it relies a lot on matt's like what did you say brushing brushing yeah brushing here's some reviews from the very first time she played carnival in chicago <laughs> Rodney was the first to call me, Mike Wise says, on the phone with the set list. He said the show was really great and Tori debuted Josephine, Jackie Strength, and Carnival. This was, of course, the first time ever Tori has performed Carnival Live. Tori played Carnival with the band, and that's in all bold. Early in the show, Tori wished everyone a happy Thanksgiving and then did an improv about Thanksgiving. She did another beautiful lady improv before Josephine when she saw a woman trying to locate her seat. Good for her, ma'am.
2: I mean, this makes so much sense. It's like a midwinter summer tour. She's like, happy Thanksgiving. Here's Carnival, a song about Mardi Gras.
0: Dave Kinnitz from that same show. His review says, Carnival is one that I thought would be really awesome to hear. And she surprised everyone when she played it. In fact, some chick a few seats down from me stopped demeaning women. In fact, some chick a few (laughs) seats down from me was freaking out during this song. What was she, Dave? Was she getting hysterical? Sugar!
3: Sugar! (laughs) Carnival!
0: Jumping up and down. (laughs) jumping up and down in her seat. That woman was just doing a Tom Cruise, it's fine. That's right. Jumping up and down on her seat. I've done way worse, but that's because of a chick. My only disappointment with this song was that the heavy drum ending part of the song was left out of the live performance. So I am too disturbed that the ending is not part of the song. And that's like, it's interesting to me that that part is the part that she wrote and presumably has the most ownership over, legally and financially, but it doesn't get played live ever in the five times it's never been played with the end spoiler alert i'm not sure she would have been able to recreate it oh yeah i get what you're saying kind of like detura it's very very produced
2: yeah it is and especially with like the kind of jazz trio arrangement on that tour when she decided it wouldn't have really fit
0: no you're right here's some reviews from this performance march 4th in durham Chelly says, "Carnival was a great surprise." And Gary says, "We returned to the arena a little before six. As we approached the arena, fans were at various locations outside, in the lobby, etc. We could hear music, and then realized that Tori was inside singing, and we could hear her. She was singing Carnival. Now I regretted not being there earlier. I talked briefly with another fan who told me that Tori had been singing for about an hour." Why didn't we get there earlier? He said she sang Father Lucifer about five or six times and also parts of Cornflake Girl. Carnival sounded so beautiful. Once people started to arrive, Tori stopped singing. The doors were covered with paper the whole time, so you couldn't see Tori. You could just hear her. God,
2: so unfair. There was a time when we would get Father Lucifer six times in a row during sound check, and then there Uh are entire ocean-to-ocean tours where we don't get it once.
0: Right. Truly. What the heck? I don't get why that song was missing from Ocean to Ocean lineup. It was missing from Native Invader, too, to be fair. She did, like, a quarter of it one time. A quarter of it at the very end, yeah, exactly. She would perform the song for the final time on the Scarlet's Walk tour on April 18th, 2003. Roll that, Oliver.
4: don't you hate, don't you... Don't you leave when you're alone.
0: Damon Intrabartolo says, Tori did a very funny improv before Carnival, which went something like, don't you hate it when your friends call you a loser? Don't you hate it when you're the one whose cell phone goes off in reference to an unwelcome ring during a beautiful winter? So that's what that was about. Okay. Stephen, from the same show, reviews in the following manner. He says, The roadside cafe sign wasn't off until after Carnival with the band. Mm. So apparently, someone forgot. <laughs> someone forgot. John, it serves to note, was on upright bass. And then this song would disappear from the ether for the rest of the summer and then the rest of the 05 tour and would come back only one time in 2007 in Atlanta Guess what doll performed it.
4: On, on this coast.
2: I don't have to guess, I know. It turns out it's Santa. Turns out it's Santa. I would have probably guessed Santa. Much to the surprise of one YouTube user who goes by the handle Tinny Linda who says, I thought it would be Pip. Really? Why? And goes on to say, I was so worried because my mom came along and I didn't want her to get scared by the dark one who sings while touching herself with a knife and a gun. The dark one. It's true. You don't want to bring your mom to a Tory show and have that one be the one where Pip shows up.
0: It makes sense to me somehow that Santa did this. What about you?
2: Me too. She's like the sexy one. And she's the one who kind of holds space for love. And I think Santa wants everyone to find true love yeah and use her body as a playground as a carnival as a carnival yes thank you can I read one other comment yeah please One of the comments reads, lucky Brazilians in the audience. Is there a large Brazilian population in Atlanta, Georgia that I don't know about?
0: No, but you know what? I bet that this was a request probably from someone who was traveling from Brazil. I I know a couple people who travel from Brazil. Really? Yeah, so I wonder if they requested it. If you've heard from them, I got a hold of them. If you didn't, then I didn't. Okay. (laughs) From Kurt's review of this night, they say... Tori soundchecked hotel three times, so apparently she had a few tech problems with it. She also soundchecked She's Your Cocaine, Raspberry Swirl, Hoochie Woman, The Power of Orange, Knickers, Jamaica Inn, and Carnival. Wow. Smitty, Tori's bodyguard, told us when we went to buy merchandise to not peek through the curtain. If we did, we would be escorted out. They let us in by groups to purchase merchandise. This was when she was doing the pre-VIP posse, the VIP posse. Oh, okay. And you could go in before, remember? Yes. And according to Justine, in her review of the show, she says, I was very happy to hear Carnival since it's a Brazilian song. I like to think she played it because I was there. So maybe Justine requested it. Or maybe she got a Brazilian that day. Oh my God, (laughs) stop. (laughs) There's also, speaking of Tinny Linda, there's a gorgeous picture of Tinny Linda and Tori on Undented. We'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamis.com. We have a visual on Tinny Linda? We have a visual on Tinny Linda. Tori looks great in this picture with her, by the way, and Tinny Linda's wearing a yellow hoodie over a green turtleneck. And there's a picture of them hugging. Oh, Tinny Linda, you're so lucky. True
2: love came your way on that magical day.
0: Oh, my God. Also from this same meet and greet, there's pictures of Tori with other people, including a very funny picture of Smitty. What's so funny about it? He's making a funny face. These appear to be Tinny Linda's pictures. All of these are Tinny Linda's pictures. You know what? This is Tinny Linda. Thank you, Tinny Linda, for... Being on the ground for being an archivist by nature. Mm -hmm. The review on YouTube, all the pictures. Linda. Linda. Listen. Linda. Listen, Linda. There's one picture not by Tinny Linda, by someone named Mac Brad. And in the background, guess who you see? Who? Tinny Linda. No. (laughs) Taking pictures. Yeah. Oh, my God.
2: This is like the omen.
0: Why <laughs> I've never well, seen that movie You haven't You're watching movies from the 70s Watch it I know but I haven't gotten there yet What
2: about the Exorcist?
0: That's a good dub feature Well, there's too many movies from the 70s. We'll see if I get there anyway let's move on to Night of Hunters shall we All right Tori must performed this song one time on the Night of Hunters tour and that was November 4th 2011 in Manchester Roll that Oliver. the five times she's played this song, David, three of them have been in November. Oh, my gosh. What do you think it is? Is that the time of carnival in her mind? No. Why are you screaming at me? Sorry. It's in February. I know, but maybe it's the harvest and she feels very carnivalia. Maybe. Carnivalia. According to Rich his review of this show he says an absolute belter of a show Tori was an amazing spirits and definitely delivered a show for the fans carnival making an appearance was a winner thank you
2: was this an interlude or was it a proper solo song
0: no it was a full it was a full thing okay i mean it wasn't like the full thing like we hear it on the soundtrack obviously but it was a full song it was not an interlude like uh
2: way down or scarborough fair or something yeah Interesting. I think at the end, she repeats, stay in my dreams, right? Will love only stay in my dreams? Oh,
0: yeah. For all five performances, she ends with dreams. Okay. Stay in my dreams. Be alone in my dreams. And that was the last we heard from her? Yes, that was the last we heard from her. (laughs) That was it. Carnival's over, which means your stay in the lounge is up, David. All right. Lights on. Everybody out. Everybody out. I hired this whole staff to run this carnival, and it was so short. It was worth it. Get out of the lounge. Your hospitality is
2: always so questionable. Or short-lived, anyway.
0: Well, I gotta clean up for the next lounge.
2: You're like Jennifer Coolidge at her purse party on Sex in the City. She turns on her guests very quickly.
0: Well, you know. She's like, get out of here, you bitches. We have guests who didn't listen to all five versions of the song. I work with what I'm given.
3: We hope you've
4: enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye.
2: We sure did, but I feel like it was done to me.
0: Oh, oh, me too. (laughs) That's how love often feels,
2: huh? Uh, We've been hurting each other. That sounds like love. (laughs) That's how true love love
0: works. Yeah. If you like what we do, you can head over to our social media profiles. We have a presence on X and Instagram. Are we calling it that now? Well, I didn't make the rules. Elon Musk is shouting in the media do not call it Twitter it's not Twitter anymore and he killed the spirit of Twitter so I'm only going to refer to it as X yeah we're on X and Instagram at Songs of Tramus, and we are on our own website Songs of where you can subscribe to our newsletter check out our Old Wills and Wants game just look at different show notes you can email us, songswithtramus, at gmail.com. You can call us and leave a voicemail, 323-296-9955. And more importantly, if you really like what we do and want to help the cause, you can head over to patreon.com slash and become a supporter today. We have plenty of different audio content areas for you to explore at every different level. There's much things to explore, and there's plenty more coming. So... Hop on, hop on this ride, hop on <laughs> this Ferris wheel, get on this carnival, hop on it, ride on it, that pony.
2: Hop a ride before we get to Scarlet's Walk so that you don't have to walk.
0: Oh, uh, what does that mean? Walk, oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you don't have to
0: what? That is gonna be a long taxi ride. Well, David, what do you think? Where are we now? We are not yet back from Venus. Are you serious? Oh, maybe we're coming back. Maybe we've started like the descent around and we're coming back.
2: Okay, we're like Venus hovering over Texas. Back.
0: Yeah, because I guess this technically isn't on to Venus and back, so this would be the back. It's on the back end of Venus? Okay. Yeah, it's on the back end of... It's like the dark side of the moon. The dark side of the Venus.
2: Are there any other hangers and danglers from Venus? Or is this it? Don't call them danglers.
0: And no, (laughs) I don't think there are. All right. (laughs) This is it. This is the last original content we get in this era, even though it technically was written and reported in what appears to be 2000, released in 2000. I still consider it the last 90s song, the last like of this era, And everything changes here. Everything changes here for a different sound, for a different trajectory, a different record label eventually. You know, this is the last original bit of material for this era
2: we're out of our contract we did it well that's not true we saw was strange little
0: girl sorry just kidding yeah. but before that we have one wonderful episode with shay Simack coming up next time it's the wrap-up episode so if you have anything to say about our season make sure you email us right away so you can get yourself heard get your voice heard on our wrap-up episode that's next
2: so excited! can't wait for shay
0: oh shay she's always a delight
2: which strange little girl would Shay be? I guess we'll have to ask her.
0: Oh, she would probably be raining blood
2: Shay. Really? I, that's so funny. I was picturing her as I'm not in love. Kind of like crawling on the floor.
0: and. <laughs> oh, you were? Yeah. Oh, God, I love her. Oh, she hasn't done that song either. I made a mistake earlier when I said that, but she hasn't done that one either. Ugh. Well, I picture as Raining Blood shade, just like cool with black beret. You're right, I can see that too. Shay is every woman. She could do any of them. Shay's every, every woman. woman. It's all in Shay. It's all
2: in Shay. Anything you want done, Shay Bay.
0: Shea bae? have a Shay you want done, Shea Bay.
2: <laughs> should we just do a show dedicated to Shay? Don't
0: we? Yeah, we should. All right. I'll talk to you next week, David. You come up with a concept for our Shay show. I can't wait. We can call Shay down.
8: Bye. Bye.
0: All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriemis.com. The way you walk in a door, the way you can!